I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Connor Crockford. And we love to watch. We love to watch biodigital jazz, man. Uh, can you do one from the first movie? <laughs> uh, 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 this is Flynn's Arcade. Video games. Uh, <laughs> hey, Pete. Hey, Connor. Hello. How's everybody doing? I'm doing really well, Connor. Thank you for asking. Welcome back. When was the last time you were on? Thanks. Oh, gosh. Um, was it Motel Hell? It no, might have been Death Race 2000. Death Race 2000. 2000. Yes. That's yeah, we, we talked about an episode that you're, we've lifted your banning. Uh, the banning was a clerical error <laughs> uh, where we forgot to contact you and ask you to be on the show. Um, but you know what? We stick to our bands. Yeah. Uh, our two-year accident. <laughs> yeah, we're like the government from Brazil. And not the Brazilian yeah, right. government in modern day. I mean the, act- the government from the movie Brazil. <laughs> right. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, Both equally depressing right now. (laughs) Yeah, both just garbage. (laughs) Just garbage. Uh, But, yeah, thank you so much for coming back on our uh, show. Uh, If you've never heard us before, where we love to watch, we're a movie podcast. We pick a theme, and typically we do four movies around that theme in a given month. But this month, you get a little bonus episode. We're wrapping up uh, What's Even Real Month. We're moving away from the three back-to-back 1999 movies. Um, that that we talked about in The Matrix, The 13th Floor, and Existence, and to talk about uh, Tron, a movie that came out in 1982, and Tron Legacy, a movie that came out in 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, and much like that, we, we are going to get into it pretty quick. We have two full movies to cover. Um, so we're going to, we're going to let Connor introduce himself a little more, then we're going to get right into Tron, uh, and then we're going to wait about 28 years, Hmm. uh, but it's just going to be like a 28 year long musical break. (laughs) And then we're going to talk about Tron Legacy because we want to make sure that we respect the artistic vision. I've been on this podcast for 28 years. (laughs) What have you done to me? Well, it's about 8,000 cycles. Right. You know, you do the math. And it'll only take us about mm, 900 years to edit that one. Yeah. Uh, I think think most of our jokes are only going to be funny. Uh, No, I mean, asterisks if they're ever funny at all. But under the (laughs) assumption, they sometimes are. They're only going to be funny if you've very recently watched these movies. (laughs) Because there's a lot of specific stuff that I didn't remember. Yeah, they're they're both highly visual, sensual experiences. Yeah. But the but like I challenge anybody that hasn't seen the movie within the past 40, 48 hours to tell me the plot of either movie, and I challenge anybody that has seen the movie at all to tell me the plot of Regular Tron. <laughs> Regular Tron feels more uh, explainable. Yes, Tron Legacy's got a lot to to talk about. I think Tron Legacy's plot makes so much more sense to me. I cannot fucking make heads or tails of Tron's plot. Interesting. Well, we're gonna get into all of it, but before we do that, Connor's back. Connor, please yeah. introduce yourself. Uh, and you started a podcast as well since you've last been on the show. I did. So uh, I'm Connor. I'm a writer and a Philadelphian. Uh, I have a podcast called The Barn, and it's a podcast about the FX TV show The Shield. Uh, 
you know, so that's a very wonderful, obscure little podcast I got going with my uh, excellent co-host and friend, Mason McGuire. Um, and I write poetry, fiction, and nonfiction pretty regularly and uh, just hang out in Philadelphia, basically. Uh, and, of course, uh, Philadelphia famous for their accents like, oh, I need a big slice of the Liberty Bell. <laughs> that is. Right? Yeah, I hear that every day. You have no idea. Oh, it's wild. <laughs> People are always talking about. How many? Let Liberty me just Bell. ask you a question. How many bites have you had of the Liberty Bell? I only got like two. Uh, it was crunchy and uh, I was bleeding a little bit after, but it was worth it. Do you think the iron taste what? was from the bell or all the blood in your mouth? <laughs> Could have been both. Not <laughs> sure. <laughs> Same question, <laughs> but I want you to answer it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, this is the dumbest thing I've ever said. So, yeah, uh, so we're going to get going. Uh, one thing I do have to just get out there, just clear the air. Mm-hmm. Since Peter and I recorded last, we did spend a weekend together. Um, it sounds so much more romantic than the way you put it. There were like eight or nine other people, some of them related by blood, <laughs> some of them related by marriage to Peter. There was a lot of hugging. Uh, there was a lot of hugging. I did see your butt, as did most people that were looking out the window when you decided to moon everyone. <laughs> that was not me. Um, that was my butt. No, no that was your, that, that wasn't me. That was the beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie, though. Um, nine people and some kind of... You know, fun, intimate event. Sounds like a society type occasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish. We really tried to get some shunting. Yeah, right? shunting but, makes uh, me feel good. People were so tired from the hike. No one had time to shunt. <laughs> uh, Sadly. But, it, you know, I want to I clear the rumors up right away. It did go terribly. <laughs> so if, uh, if we're talking basically through Connor on this podcast, that is why. Uh, we're going to try to avoid direct conversation with each other. Uh, and this is also going to be the last episode. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I feel like Aaron wrote this time. before he left for the weekend. <laughs> Uh, yep, I've I've ranked all of your friends in order of worst to worst. <laughs> this is the um, worst version of the MySpace top eight. I got it. Right. Yeah, it's go. just it's just the bottom eight. I swear I'm worse than Becky. <laughs> uh, no, it was a wonderful time. Uh, I forgot most of my bits, but uh, you know, there's still a wedding coming up. So, uh, <laughs> mamma mia. <laughs> Uh, uh, after some comments that Aaron made to my fiance, the wedding will not be happening. <laughs> that's basically because the comments I gave her where I gave her uh, the, a, a different address than when the wedding was occurring. <laughs> so good luck if she shows up. Please don't correct her in the next three months. <laughs> it was a classic prank. I'm telling you. No, didn't you hear Peter changed the venue? <laughs> uh, so the wedding will probably happen eventually after much uh, sitcom-like confusion. Mm, I imagine you wouldn't go. be re-invited. Uh, well, I'm just going to be there the whole time until <laughs> it happens. I'm going to watch it happen. Uh, but anyways, uh, we'll, we'll share more about that at a later date. Peter Connor, are you guys ready to start talking about... A Tron. Yeah, a Tron. We are. Bang, a bang, biggie. biggie. Fight for the users. We fight for the users. We do fight for the users. (laughs) Is this the only movie where being a user is a good thing? Kind of, yeah, actually. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of like, what about in the company of men? Nope, still Mm. not good. Nope. (laughs) Oh, wait, they were the bad guys? (laughs) I think so. But they were white. I think men were the bad guys. Oh, that's weird.
Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Peter, I since you don't understand Tron, I suppose I should explain the plot of that one. So I'll let you do alternate taglines for this one. Okay. Uh, alternate taglines. The goddamn. I was disappointed I had to talk to you, so you're really making it awkward. <laughs> if you could just hurry it up. <laughs> Tron, find out whether it's a character or the world. It's a character. Yeah. It's a character. But if I had told Whoa. you a week ago we were like before you watched the movie that Tron was the name of the world, you would not have uh you'd not have bat an eye. Yeah, I actually was surprised watching. I was like, wait, Tron's a person? Yeah, I thought Tron was the ma- the magical land. With the, right, with the I was neon. like, oh, it's a program thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you wouldn't have fooled me because I recently played Kingdom Hearts 2. <laughs> and there is a Tron level. What? Uh, with Tron. That's what's so odd about this movie is that, like, it didn't make... It didn't make very much money, but it stuck around to the cultural consciousness in a way. It was essentially a write-off for Disney, and it was, yeah. and it was, and it didn't stick around in the cultural. It stuck around the cultural consciousness in like a very specific way. Like it, it is still yeah. a reference, and it was before the 2010 movies too. Yeah, I mean, Kingdom Hearts two, uh, I think it was like 2005. So you're talking five years before Tron Legacy. Yeah. Uh, and they did, like, a Tron level with uh, Bruce Belexter, however the fuck you say his mm-hmm. last name. Um, he's the voice of Tron. But you're right. Before I played that game a couple months ago, uh, I would have 100% thought Tron was was the game. Uh, or I would have thought Tron was uh, the ma- master control. That's actually yeah. what I think I thought Tron was. Because you say Tron and then you think of that weird uh, funnel-shaped Head. red. Yeah thing that red creepy face thing yeah mm-hmm. so that's that's actually what i would have thought tron was yeah that like jeff bridges has to blue skidoo we can too and two <laughs> but here's how much so i saw uh we'll talk about it in a second i did see tron like in 2002 2003 i watched okay. it in college and um I, I did not see it as a kid i ended up really liking it but when i um saw Tron Legacy, I did not re-watch Tron. Uh, and I was very confused. I didn't really remember Jeff Bridges in it. <laughs> um, uh, and I don't know why. And I was I was like, huh. He, they, everyone seems very excited that he, he's returned, but then he's also playing this Clue character. I certainly don't remember a, a Clue character. Was there a bad one back then, too? Like, Watching them back to back actually helped clarify a few things I didn't quite understand. Like I didn't understand that um, uh, Bruce Blexter was the uncle that was helping Sam in Tron Legacy. Uh, that he was in the first like so it, it is weird uh, how much information I wasn't getting watching them seven years apart, uh, and and so it was weirdly helpful to watch them back to back. Uh, not that any of it was really important, <laughs> you know, it's not like I was like confused and I couldn't decode Tron Legacy. It didn't turn Tron Legacy into fucking Lost Highway. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, okay, weird. <laughs> and then I moved on with my life. You're uh, like, oh, that guy but- didn't have anything to do. So I guess he could uh, come back for this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but we'll get into so, so Tron is a movie about uh, Jeff Bridges. He is a he is in, uh, created five different video games. 
uh, including what's what's the one space space mutineers? S- I was gonna say space mutiny, but I'm pretty sh- pretty sure that's like a Simpsons episode that's or something. Mystery Science, that's a Mystery Science fifty thousand. Yeah, there we go. It's a uh, space, space junkies, space pandemonium, space madness, space madness, right? Space paranoid, space paranoiacs. No, it's just paranoids. <laughs> space madness. Space uh, isn't space madness a Run and Stimpy episode? Don't know. Did not watch Run and Stimpy, but I think it's what happens to Sam Neill in Event Horizon. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. And Homer Simpson. And I think what we established during uh, Space Horror Month is that anything that happens within a space could be called madness uh, or space. Yeah. Horror. Yeah, if, it, if any any sort of uh, mental destability that, uh, you know, you'd qualify as madness, if it happens within a space, it's space madness. I have space gout, for example. Because <laughs> it happened within space. The space It happens Earth. within the space of my uh, toe, usually. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that's why we call it space gout. Oof. Uh, so. <laughs> Do you need a cloth for that one? Yeah, I need to. Uh, I need to really call my doctor and get some of that ice cream. Uh, anyway, so so Tron. Uh, Jeff Bridges invents video games. The but uh, uh, a character Nate played by David Warner. So uh, a villain uh, see, as uh, named by fucking. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> long. Uh, I'm a little tired. I said we'll get there. I'm, I'm drinking caffeine as quickly as I can. So David Warner plays the bad guy who has stolen Jeff Bridges' uh, video games, passed him off, passed them off as his own, mm-hmm. and he is now leading the, the corporation, leaving Jeff Bridges' character Flynn to uh, go to uh, to to start an arcade because, as he says, then at least he can be making money off of the games that he invented. Meanwhile, he's continually trying to hack uh, into uh, into what's the name of the mainframe? I feel like there's a name for the world. A very bland name. Does anyone remember? We just watched this probably in the last couple days. In the system or whatever. So anyways, so he keeps trying to hack in. And this is visually represented by his own character, who he names Clue, which would be important for Tron Legacy. It's also an acronym, uh, apparently. It's like computer something Computer something user. Yeah. He's not not named after uh, Clue Gulager. (laughs) (laughs) It's user, right? Computer. Something user. Yeah, licensed probably. Sure, it's an it's an EA creation. <laughs> um, so he's like, you see in the opening scene, he his robot version or his space program version of himself is uh, is is driving around, and then uh, these like kind of like flying vertical tanks would be the best way I could describe them. Um, take him down, and then he's like, oh my my hacking didn't work. Uh, but David Warner realizes that he's trying to hack the system. Uh, meanwhile, the computer itself has kind of uh, kind of formed some level of consciousness, and so Master Control is saying, "Hey, I need you to start like locking down all the programs, or else I'm going to release the files that uh, basically say that you uh, you stole the game." Right. So Flynn, eventually, uh, with the help of Bradley and Bradley, who's played by Bruce uh, Bolexter, does anyone know how to pronounce his fucking name? No. Uh, Dexter Poindexter? By Dexter? By Bite Dexter? Uh, I thought it was BR. B Dexter? Maybe it's like a German, like Beat Dexter kind of thing. Bruce Box Leitner? Let's say Box Leitner. So, uh, Alan Bradley is his partner along with uh, Yori, who is dating, or sorry, Yori is the computer version. Uh, Laura, 
they are dating and he breaks into the corporation and as a way to um to stop a master control digitizes him and puts him into the simulation right so from there they're immediately finding these other programs that have been stripped of their uh all represented by people good programs are in blue bad programs are in orange except for um, in insects except for in certain scenes that were animated before they decided on that <laughs> except for certain scenes before and yeah that's part of the world yeah don't question it like uh jeff bridges's bike is orange for that first light bike sequence and it's very oh confusing. yeah that's right that's right uh he stole a bad guy's bike so anyway uh so he's meeting these other people and kind of realizes he's, he's in the simulation and uh master control is is making all these programs that won't like submit or get wiped compete in these dumb games um but like there's like a computer program who again looks like just a person talks like a person who's like a tax program and he has to now play these games uh jeff bridges is uh does very well uh and then eventually they find out he's a user um david warner's uh version of himself uh in the simulation who's like master controls uh big guy big helper guy uh he uh, he's like gives chase, and then they have all the the sequences, the light bite sequence. He meets up with uh with uh, Bradley's user, who is named Tron, uh, and then uh, Laura's user, who's named Yori, and they are fighting within the simulation together to bring down Master Control. Uh, they get a disc sent from them by Bradley in the real world. They go f- uh, end up killing David Warner, who then is brought back to life by Master Control as a giant. Meanwhile, he needs to throw the disc, which I assume has like a virus in it, into into Master Control that is represented by this giant orange head. Uh, he eventually succeeds, uh, and and Jeff Bridges goes back and takes control of his company. At the end, he's the CEO, mm-hmm. uh, and that is the plot of Tron. Peter, see how easy that was. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're missing the part where. For the first, like, half an hour, it's just in the regular world, and then they dump you in the game world, and then they just start talking about religion and accounting programs, and I'm like, uh, I've seen movies like this before. Why is this so confusing for me? And then they, like, yeah. and I'm like, what are the rules of this world? Why do... After they get through all the tournament shit, the... The world expands out. There's more. There's more color to it. They're, they go talk to like. There's a tower guy who like can make them talk to the outside world or something. Yeah. The yeah. That's how they get the transmission out to Bradley in the real world. Yeah. All of that stuff they just talk about in the most obscure, a confusing manner. Whereas in Tron hmm. Legacy, to sometimes to its fault, talks about things in like the most like. Uh, obvious and clear manner um, and, and like they rarely use jargon just for fun and, and I, I just felt like I was so confused for much of the first Tron because I was like trying to figure out what characters were motivated what was motivating characters what was the actual battle going on like Interesting. what is the religious conflict going on like I don't understand any so let's, of that let, let's, let's start here so had both of you seen the Tron movies before? No. Um, so I had actually never seen either of them. Um, and so, like, the first I watched, you know, like, I watched it very much like I'm going to watch this on a Sunday afternoon. Really pay attention. 
I may have dozed off at one point and then been like, oh. Um, <laughs> it's an easy movie to doze off during and has a very kind strange of pacing. Is. It's very strange. Uh, and then Tron Legacy, uh, during the second half, I decided to not be sober, which was a really good call. Really good because move. Because that movie really works uh, not sober. When I, when I was a kid, I caught bits and pieces of it on Disney and I thought it okay. was incredibly boring. Um, because at that point, yeah. I, we had had... In you know, I was born in 1991. By then, we had already had more advanced uh, graphics in in movies and shows, so it mm-hmm. wasn't like impressive on that level. And also, like it had this awkward slow energy that I think just it, it, I, I it's it doesn't feel like a, you could show this to a kid now. A kid would be so bored. No, yeah, I'm kind of picturing that, and I can't. I don't think it would work at all. I don't think you could show it to a kid then. <laughs> a kid would have been relatively bored. Uh, yeah, so I, I had seen it in college. Um, I still remember when I saw it too, I was doing like one of those things where they like – you get locked away for 10 days while they like draw your blood while they test some medication on you. I don't know if you yeah. guys had like those things in college where they paid you like uh, what felt like a significant amount of money to a 23-year-old. Um and so I had bought a TV from Walmart that had a DVD player in it that I returned as soon as the 10-day study was done. Mm. Uh, and yeah, so you just would sit there and I had headphones for the TV and I would watch DVDs. And this is one of the – this is uh, the, the only other movie I remember watching for the first time there was RoboCop 2. Uh, I know I Lost watched a lot. Lost in New York. Yep. With Marv <laughs> and Harry. <laughs> um but uh, but I really I, – I, so I watched this because it felt like a perfect time to – this isn't going to be my movie for the night. I'm just going to be watching movies for 10 days. I can't go out of this room. Mm-hmm. So uh, so this is a perfect time to watch Tron, right. a movie that I've always kind of felt like was eating my medicine. Like it's it's revolutionary visually, but but I've never heard like great things about it besides, as Peter mentioned – this kind of cult of people that were always like on Aiden Cool News back in early 2000s, uh, you know, uh, excited about Tron 2 or they're making a video game or maybe there's another one. Uh, so I watched it and I ended up um, I ended up really liking it. I, I, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it and it wasn't quite what I expected it to be. Um, and watching it again... Uh, I, I ended up really liking it too. I actually um, – my estimation of Tron went up and my estimation of Tron Legacy went down a little bit. Okay. Um, I do think it's very weird and off-putting uh, and I can't imagine what this was like. Like, So I said this to Peter in chat. Like it really – it actually feels like it was a good time to do it in a month with The Matrix because in some ways it feels like The Matrix from the perspective of The Matrix where there's all these computer programs inside – uh, like pre-revolution, which is kind of what Matrix Reloaded gives you. Uh, and I like how off-putting it is to like he- – these people are these like representations of like bits that do a process within a computer. Uh, and I like how it just kind of throws that out there at you. Uh, and Peter, you're right. Like I can't imagine what a crowd in 1982 thought watching this because how the fuck does that make any sense? Uh when like computer programs at the time were like so much more um, basic uh, than some of them used basic, ironically. 
than than they are now. Like this concept of like these little computer processes having their own distinct identity within a larger system, uh, you know, is is still kind of a heady concept for for 2019. And the way like the first scene in the movie is within the uh, is within the 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 system, and they're like, I, and it's like. These, these, this guy who says he's an accounting pro would be thrown in jail. Uh, and yeah, I imagine it being incredibly off-putting. But I think how odd and the visual design and everything else about it really, really feels uh, unique to me. And it's only 90 minutes long. And like, I just, I just really like looking at it. Um, and we'll talk about this in a sec. Where Tron Legacy, I feel like it... it some of the design aspects, while some stuff still looks really cool, it doesn't have this kind of weird, consistent visual touch that it like feels alien. Um, but let's uh, but we'll, we'll let's get into the movie in a sec. The one thing, so Peter kind of touched on like this really was a cult hit. It like it had a budget of seventeen million. Yeah, uh, it made about thirty two. So not you know with marketing it probably broke about even uh, even if it wasn't like a it wasn't a flop necessarily uh the idea came from someone reading a book about pong <laughs> it was like interesting uh yeah, they the invented Steven, a the lot Steven of the guy has a very yeah. interesting story he he's essentially he was a disney outsider he wasn't part of the animation department and because of that uh he had to fight a very long uphill battle to get this made and he basically had to bring in his own guys for a lot of stuff because the disney animation team didn't particularly want to sign up to work with this dude and yeah and that's for a bunch of reasons yes he was an outsider yes this movie sounds insane <laughs> and yes uh he wanted to use computer generated graphics which is uh was fairly revolutionary at the time at this scale um we were using computers to, for for plenty of stuff but it was um much simpler and, and it wasn't there wasn't like long extended animation scenes um Essentially, a second of this movie in an a full second of animation would take like six hours for one of the computers to process. Like, it was a labored process to do something that now I yeah. bet you literally any basic level like animation studio software will do can recreate scenes from Tron in like a few hours, right? Like the whole movie in a few hours. Yeah. Well, it's no, it's funny too, because both Tron and Tron legacy with like marketing and everything, both of them basically break even. Like, it's really funny that like Tron legacy obviously is like a much bigger movie. It has this star soundtrack and it has this like, you know, like a star all-star cast. It's really trying to go for a like blockbuster level. Both of them basically make about the same amount of money. Both of them become these like cult thing, like cult objects. And I think what's interesting about Tron in particular is that um, I, it's funny because I like Tron Legacy better, but Tron is genuinely jarring and interesting to watch. I think um, in part because the CGI actually has aged really well. I think because it doesn't look like anything we have now. It's something you can't compare to any other process, except in terms... You can compare the process, but you can't compare what it looks like. There's a very simple mechanic I use, and that's that uh, if it's something I can't, I can see in real life and you have a comparison point to, it's much harder to animate and you're probably not going to trick me. Uh, mm. But if it's something that I have no frame of context for, as long yeah. as it seems to have some sort of internal logic, it's fine, right? <laughs> and, like, I can't say... 
that the world of Tron looks fake. I, I can't. I, I, I can't. Yeah. It, it, it's, it looks, it looks like a, um, it doesn't look like anything in the real world because it's not in the real world. It's a digital representation of a, a struggle of computer programs going up one, against one another. Like none of this is supposed to look real on purpose. Yeah. That's the entire point of the movie. The movie mostly falls flat, I think, as a, as a drama. Um, That's where I really like kind of hit my problem with it, where I was just like, <laughs> I don't really care. Like I feel that's like easy way to get sleepy, right? It's like I get, I felt I felt mean saying that about the movie because I I saw how much of a labor of love the movie was. And I was just like, I don't care. Like, I, I feel entirely. Bad. It, it feels yeah. like this labor of love, and then whenever a character has a line, and I'm sort of cringing at the dorkiness mm-hmm. of it, um, and the fact that it didn't land emotionally or comically for me, I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I don't really care. But then when it's mm-hmm. all about a sense of awe, a sense of spectacle. It kind of wins me back because I know that's really where uh, Steven Lisberger's heart and soul are into it. Like I was watching a bunch of movies about the the Marvel Cinematic Universe by Patrick Willems and the, the Cinematic Universe, I guess. God, what an annoying MCU, whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> but he was talking about the visual effects and how they've actually gotten worse over time in the films. And it turns out it's because they have more visual effect shots every movie now and they have to crank them out every year. So the animators like have to cut corners or else they can't release the films on time. Um, which I thought was kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, I think the, the best recent CGI that I actually like speaking on, on Peter's like issues with like CGI that like is trying to render something that's real. Um, I think the best CGI in terms of, like, recent blockbusters, is, like, space stuff. Like, Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, any of the Marvel movies set in space actually work for me because they're animating things that aren't real. They have no, like, actual texture in real life. So I can understand them on this really basic level where I'm like, that's not real, and I get it. I'm That's a, super I, true. I can respond to it. I agree entirely. I the, the fact that I don't have a reference point in reality makes me uh, believe in the fantasy and want to believe in the fantasy of it. Totally. And and I like Tron actually because it's almost doubling back to a time when the CGI both has no texture and has texture. Like <laughs> I kind of like that you can see the people in like the suits. It's very weird. Like <laughs> you can kind of see like the motion capture suits and stuff. Like it's a very weird look. I I was Yeah, that. that they have black and white. They were shot in black and white and then yeah. they use uh color filters on certain shots to reflect the the light around them. So if they're in the light cycle and the light cycle is blue, they shot them in black and white and they cast blue light on them. Specifically reminds me of silent movies when they would have the uh, colored frames yeah uh, or color yeah. filters for certain shots because you're just like it, that's the only that's the only way for me to like really process that this is a human face and it is they use actual yeah. human faces and actual human bodies and then draw around it which makes helps keep you involved in the game i think because if it was all this like bloopy bloppy digital uh you know yeah. quantized poly not even polygony uh stuff <laughs> then it would that it, it might um it might be too alienating well, and that's why I think it actually like really holds up visually as this kind of unique object, because by not doing like a truly primitive CGI and essentially just doing like vector graphics, 
like like very early video games like Missile Command or Asteroids where it's just lines. Yeah. Like when you see the world you're just seeing lines like the, a lot of the vehicles and stuff like that are lines and I think one of the one of the genius moves they do is even when they're when they're not showing a um, a digital creation when they're showing the actors on the set and they're walking around and doing stuff like inside of the weird tanks or when they find like the the water pool of energy they build the set to look like vector graphics and so they're and then of course they're like they're animating their uh, suits they're shot in black and white so it it has this like style that i feel like both holds up in a way that you wouldn't expect uh, uh, primarily CGI, like the first CGI movie from 1982, but also like just looks, uh, it it looks like nothing else I've ever seen. And as such, the the, coupled with the short runtime and a lot of the, the weird flourishes they throw uh, throughout, like, there's that there's that one scene where they're essentially walking through the Tron metropolis or whatever and like you see a glimpse of like all these other program life forms that are not part of the uh, death squads but are just like living their life within the simulation and they all look like you know and this may be true like stolen from Star Wars uh, costumes but it but it and wearing bizarre robes and doing these like marches in the background. But, like, it's stuff like that that just keeps the whole thing compelling. And then David Warner becoming giant, their weird, like, fan boat across the the mountains to then seeing what Master Control looks like. Like, the plot is nothing to write home about. And I would say that's true of both of these movies. Um, but, man, I just find everything I'm watching on screen when they're in the simulation, which is two-thirds of the movie – to be just so compelling to watch in like this almost hypnotic way I can't quite explain. There's no cool way to say that you prefer the visuals of the newer, glossier remake that was made within a specific that was made within a corporate context and was made with like standing on the shoulders of giants. Like there's no cool (laughs) way to say that, but I found myself because I was emotionally disconnected in the first Tron and I viewed it, and I, I didn't understand the plot, and there's no real themes, so to speak. Like, there are, there's always themes in movies, I understand, but, like, there's no, there's nothing really for me to grab onto in terms of subtext or, or you know, subtlety. I, I found it as mostly just a visual experiment, and eventually that visual experiment started to fail for me, um, whereas, and, and, and those rough edges make it so much more interesting than Tron Legacy, I agree. The weirdness of it and the fact that it is such a, a er-CGI spectacle, but on the flip side... Tron Legacy had me enthralled for yeah. an hour 45 out of its two hours, I think. And I only got sick of the visuals by in like the last 10 minutes, maybe. Like, See, that's interesting because I, I actually think it finally comes alive visually in the last half hour. And I think upon rewatch, I think it's a little I think it's a little bland. And I want to be very clear. Like, I like Tron Legacy. <laughs> I do not think it's a bad movie. I think, like, if we're talking Letterbox, I think I gave Tron four, four and a half stars. And I gave Tron Legacy. I bumped it down from four to three and a half. Like, it is a movie I like. And we're going to talk a lot about that stuff 
uh, on the second half of this podcast. But, man, I just – I actually think even the themes are more interesting in Tron. Uh, and it's it actually is, I think, disappointing that they didn't pick up that thread. Like – I'm not going to pretend that this is a very deep theme. Mm-hmm. I want to be mm-hmm. every every theme in both of these movies is a very shallow pool, much like yeah. the pool that they drink from inexplicably for power. <laughs> in Tron. and then in the yeah, sequel, right. in the sequel, they're just that shit's just like in wine glasses, and no one is remarking on it really. <laughs> but they still like it. They like they like energy water, magic water. Um, <laughs> let me ask you a question: Is energy water? Do you think it's Red Bull? Oh. Do you think the Trons invented a drink that gives you wings, metaphorically? I feel like uh, the my instinct of Red Bulls is like spit it out. So like, I feel like it can't be right. Like it's just too gross. Well, you're not in a simulation, Connor. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you don't, maybe you don't this know maybe this Red Bull is like the elixir of the gods. What? Yeah, just when it got ported out of the gaming universe, <laughs> it tastes like shit. Right? But no, no one's tested it. Um, yeah. But. Uh, yeah, so I um I do think this idea of like this this society that's built upon you know the idea of these users as these people like they they know their computer programs they know that there's like creators out there yeah master control doesn't rejects that notion he rejects the idea that he was designed he's like you know he at one point he tells david warner like a lot of different people worked on me and i you know then i just came together on my own like uh and his rejection of being designed is why he wants to take over stuff and um and the idea of just kind of this reverence and awe around users i think is very uh you know again it's not that deep but it's like a theme I'm interested in. Like, what if gods are real? How does that react? It's like that Futurama episode. <laughs> Just not funny. It's not meant to be funny, but it's not mm-hmm. funny where, where Bender becomes god. And they can see and talk to him and how that influences the, the society that's been built up around that. Uh, and I, I, I actually am kind of bummed that even rewatching it, I, I was pretty sure Tron Legacy was going to continue that thread where – they had rejected the users just as a society as a whole. I kind of forgot that Clue was in Tron Legacy. I forgot there was a bad DH Jeff Go- uh not Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Bridges. Which, um, mind you, at the time, 2010, it was super fucking impressive and creepily. So. I, I kept trying to tell myself that because I wanted to run screaming at one point. <laughs> I <laughs> it was is so, so scared of fake Jeff Goldblum. I, rem- so I remember being very it impressed. Really cool. It looked really yeah, cool. I remember being yeah. very impressed as well, uh, which scares <laughs> me of what we're going to think in Michael Douglas and Ant-Man. In oh, my years. God. Yeah, because I thought he because- looked great. And now I'm just like, Jesus. Now in five years, I'll be like, Jesus Christ, run, children. Yeah. I- they should do a George lucas and take the ant-man technology and update uh jeff bridges because uh yeah it's it is amazing how much that stuff like changes where you're like oh i don't remember grimacing every time i watched him uh but anyway you know what i'm actually scared of is i love rogue one like probably i'm one of five people on the planet that like considers it one of the best star wars movies um yeah, I, I, I love it. Too. Yeah, it's like one of my favorite movies now. And uh, the, that, but that CGI Peter Cushing is going to be the one thing where even oh like every time I watch it, I'm going to be like, 
why the fuck did they do this? Why didn't they just recast <laughs> Peter Cushing? Yeah, well, I'm always disappointed when Peters this. are in anything. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I don't know how it's going to hold up. You can get away with Darth Vader. You can't get away with this. No, I'm a, and I'm a no. Hammer and uh, an Asylum guy. And, like, totally. I, I love, I'm uh, sorry, an Amicus guy. And I, I, I fucking love Peter Cushing. Um my current Twitter handle is a riff on Peter Cushing, and <laughs> I uh, do not fucking like that weird CGI digital face. And yes, before we get to Tron Legacy, that is going to be a big harping point, is that that aged like fucking milk yeah. in the sun. That looks yeah. so bad. But, uh, but just, I really thought though, or my memory was, was that they were going to pick up that thread of this idea of like... You know, after after like Tron had or the 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 system had got a chance to meet users in like the first movie that they had rejected them and like had turned against the users. Mm -hmm. And that's like that feels like a more compelling sequel idea to me. And that's where I thought it was going until it just all became about like clue and the desire to become perfect. And, And there's some compelling stuff in there. I'm not trying to dismiss it all, but. You know, what a what a it's one of those weird opportunities that I feel like was missed, because when you have a sequel that is 28 years removed from the original, the idea of of which and that that first movie was about, like, what happens in a closed system when these outside forces interact? The fact that there's like no pickup of that to the point that, like, this is actually a whole new system where Tron was ported in from and then they recreated Clue. Uh, we'll get we'll get to a lot of Tron Legacy, but, you know, it just, it really feels like a missed opportunity. And as such, like, I just find myself, even on a thematic basis, a little more attracted to Tron. I, I, I yeah. I, I, I really just couldn't track the plot in Tron. So the idea that mm. they were basically just like, Let's take the characters, let's take the themes, let's take the general feel and do a, you know, a, a spiritual, you know, sequel dash reboot. I, I, I didn't need them to continue a single theme from the previous movie. I didn't need any of that. I just wanted like a fresh start so I could like just take a breath and be like, okay. And I like, I like Tron, but I like it more as a, as a curio and a piece of history than I do yeah. as like something that emotionally involved me. Um, and, so by the time I got to Tron Legacy, I was like, okay, I'm ready for something new. So I didn't I didn't need anything to continue. My thing with Tron, yeah, similar feeling to Peter. Part of it, too, was like, I don't care that much about the themes of Tron. I think I liked parts of it, but ultimately I was like, I felt the same way Peter did. It was a curio, it's a visual object. I really appreciate that Hick and Looper is like a director like with somebody who clearly had never made a film before and that made the film more unique, but and it made his ideas more unique. Like he's clearly a geek. This is a geek playing in a sandbox and like really like pushing where he can go with this like blockbuster movie. Um, but Tron legacy I like because of the world building. And that's what I really wanted out of the first one. I think I wanted to explore more of this world that is like insane. And, I think I just wanted more of that aesthetic and style. Uh, so I was okay leaving behind those themes. But, you know, I, I can see where you're coming from, Aaron. Because, you know, if, if that's like an important aspect of the movie to you, that's definitely dropped in the sequel to some extent. It, again, yeah, it's not it's not that important. Sure. 
And I don't think the movie thinks it's that important. But that is the theme, and I find it strangely, like, somewhat compelling. Like, yeah. I, I enjoy I enjoy what they're trying to say, even if, again, as shallow as an energy pool, <laughs> as the old saying goes. Like, it's it's something interesting, because, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think, you know, when the, the Matrix has a lot of that, too, and, and a lot of, like, good movies about you know, simulations and stuff like this. There is this concept of, like, learning that, you know, your creators are imperfect. That's, like, the whole thing with AI. Like, when AI become conscious, there's there's this idea that it will almost immediately be better than its creators, but also know that it, it has creators. And, like, that's something that, you know, we as human beings don't have, despite what some people, <laughs> very loud people mm-hmm. would say. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that believe in various incarnations of a creator. But we we don't literally look up in the night sky and have, like, a sense of us being, like, programs in a system that was created. It's a lot more vague than that. So when fiction tackles that subject of what if there's a definitive knowledge of a creator that also we know has interactions and how does that affect life within, I always find that to be an interesting concept. So yeah. that's you know that's what they went with with Tron. Um, and so it's not as – it's not like the definitive work on it, but it matches like between an idea that I like – and a visual style I find both impressive and unique. You know, I really, I really do think this movie is something more than kind of like a, like a, like a black hole. I don't know if you guys ever saw Disney's Black Hole. It's actually mm-hmm. referenced in Tron Legacy uh, with a poster. Oh, they remember um, that, yeah. Which is also weird but, because Joseph Kosinski was briefly attached to remake uh, the Black Hole. The black hole. I'm sure that wasn't a mistake, yeah. but continue. Well, no, and and so like that's a great movie. This like very, um, very uh, like they, they some like almost ahead of its time. Like Disney special effects. Like we want to do this crazy like movie, um, and it's one of those movies that tends to hold up better in your memory than when you rewatch it. It is bizarre. It has amazing special effects. It is about, like, people going into a black hole, the spaceship. There's obviously evil scientists and robots. Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gotta be evil scientists and robots. Come on. Um, but, like, ultimately... Now, this is a G-rated movie. The black hole, like, takes them to hell. Um, and the, the design... The visual design and everything else is amazing. But, like, you watch it and you go, oh, man, uh, this is boring. <laughs> and a lot of this is not good. And it has a few good special effects sequences. But, like... It really is a 95-minute buildup to get you to the black hole, and that buildup is terrible. Uh, and this this is this is kind of the same era and kind of in that era of, like, when Disney really didn't know what they were doing. And I feel like they really created something that, that works on all, on all levels. Like, it's not just a visual spectacle. The acting is good, and I find the story compelling enough. And, and it does give me something that I can chew off. Uh, in better movies. But again, the ideas there are still compelling. I gotta say, I do really like uh, David Warner and Jeff Bridges in this movie. Jeff Bridges is just great. He He's so... He is the right guy to tap for this movie because yeah. he has that kind of like wisecracking, like genuinely casual energy where he's just not taking all this too seriously. 
uh, up to but a he, point, he which seems I think is to kind give of fun. A shit, though. Right, right. He's yeah. not like an asshole. He's just like not somebody who's like super intense. He's not a brooding hero. He's very much his own guy, which I think is interesting. He's not a conventional blockbuster character at all. Well, it also is kind of funny, like the way that he why he has Flynn's arcade in the, in the, right. the first place. Like that kind of like I was beaten at this corporate espionage thing and my ideas were stolen. Well, fuck you. I'm making money on this somehow. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm going to take all my awesome games that I know rule and make an arcade uh, with it while I continually try to hack and prove that I was the one that created it. Right. Like, that's kind of a funny like – you know, Mo, he's not a hero that's consumed with getting proven right because he's like, well, my ultimate goal was still to make all this money, uh, which I do think gets interesting in the sequel. I think Jeff Bridges' character gets interesting in the sequel. Yeah. Uh, um, but but it is fun. Like I I I think that is a pretty unique. Like ah, I got got fucked out of my <laughs> out of my work, but I'm still gonna make a little money on it. <laughs> <laughs> the. Uh... I, I just feel like the movie is is has a minimal a minimal quality to it that it, it, which you know does lead to the sort of stiff rigid animations and <clears throat> this stuff is a little awkward but it's shooting for this sense of awe and I think that's really like Tron's greatest yeah tra- greatest asset is that it's shooting for a sense of awe whereas Tron Legacy is sh- shooting for a sense of thrills. And even though I'd rather watch Tron Legacy any day, Tron feels like it's a more indispensable part of, uh, I mean, clearly a more indispensable part of film history, but a more indispensable item. It feels more unique and rare, and and it's it's like this this weirdo that, like, you know, I'm not going to watch this very often, but to lose this would, would... be a crime like even though i'd rather watch legacy again and again like i feel like if i had to pick one to blast into space to if i had to de-res one of them to go with the parlance of the movie um i i would blast tron legacy yeah i would laser blast and de-res tron legacy even though i enjoy it far more um because tron is like a more unique thing it would take less than a cycle for me to blow up Tron Legacy, um, even though I quite less than it. eight hours. Got it. It's a type of time everyone knows. Yeah, Can that was keep the, the soundtrack. That was what's interesting. <laughs> oh yeah, the soundtrack on uh, both of them is pretty good. Um, yeah, pretty good. Clearly, Wendy the Carlos. Daft Punk one is more fun. But fucking Wendy Carlos, we've never talked about Wendy Carlos because I don't think we've done any of her movies yet. Um, Wendy Carlos is an important part of film film history. She mm-hmm. composed The Shining and the Clockwork Orange soundtracks, notably. Um, and she was like a big, similar to this movie's uh, experiments with uh, digital animation, really bringing the game forward. Like John Lasseter, uh, I hate having to say his name, but John Lasseter said basically that Toy Story wouldn't exist uh, if it wasn't for Tron. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I true. mean, that tracks. It's crazy that there's only 13 years removed uh, between Toy Story and Tron. Yeah. And yeah. Wendy Carlos, essentially, uh, without her contributions to 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 music and, and film soundtracks, like, there's no telling where we would be. Um, she was super influential. And also, it's good to note here, Wendy Carlos was, like, an out trans person. 
Mm -hmm. uh, which is super cool and like super interesting. And it's a part of film history that like, uh, that I think it's kind of buried. Um, and, and people just think about trans issues as being this weird, like 2012 to present day kind of thing. Well, people forget to actually, I was reading about it, you know, cause I kind of went into like a weird, like <laughs> I went to a weird internet hole because I was reading about the Danish girl, that movie. Oh um, yeah. I think modern people, especially even young progressives think about these issues as being um, of our time. And yes, obviously like we're making great strides, but like people made great strides and the strides were taken back. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Wendy Carlos, Wendy Carlos rules um, and her, her legacy should never be forgotten. Completely agreed. The director, Steven Lisberger, he directed almost nothing after this um, because it wasn't a yeah. big hit and he was a Disney outsider. So he didn't have years of animation cachet to, to you know, back him up. You know, it, typically if you're in one of these houses, uh, it, it, it doesn't matter. You see it with the Pixar and the Disney animation stuff now. Like if one of these movies doesn't do particularly well, the director doesn't necessarily go away. The director just probably goes to like, uh, you know, animation director or assistant director mm-hmm. um, on a on a different movie they might not you know become they might not stay in the brad bird level where they get to do whatever they want forever yeah. but they, they don't they're not just necessarily out of the job uh lisberger kind of seems like he was he was he was uh thrown out in the in the cold so to speak um for, by disney i want to talk a little bit about what disney did to this movie too yeah absolutely um because it's like, um, I don't know how it's going to edit together, but this was, I was trying to frame it up before uh, my dog, my puppy pooped all over the room I'm recording in. But um, it is interesting, like, Disney has always been kind of, uh, like, vengeful. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this was supposed to come out in winter of 1982. Um, and Disney moved it because. The other movie that was coming out in the winter of 1982 was The Secret of Nim, mm. Don Bluth's first movie since leaving Disney. And they didn't want to be potentially embarrassed by Secret of Nim, thinking that it's going to be this, like, animated huge hit. Yeah. And it was a hit. But they didn't want to be embarrassed by, like, the narrative being that, like, Bluth trumps Disney. So they released it instead. Can I pause right here real quick? Yeah. When I read this about this story, it reads like a Game of Thrones twist. (laughs) Just like, oh, 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 so fate just shit all over you. Got it. (laughs) Yes. Because instead they they moved it up. Never a good idea to do to any movie. No. Move it up by six months uh, to the summer of 1982, where instead it competed against E.T., Star Trek II, and Poltergeist. Jesus Christ. No Uh, no fucking room for this movie. They are lucky they broke even. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So it is like this movie could have possibly been a bigger hit and had a more immediate sequel. Um, Or just kind of had what didn't end up being this cult uh, cult thing. Uh, that got revived or talked about every once in a while. And the director himself may have had a bigger career if Disney, in their attempt to make sure they weren't embarrassed, um, didn't move it to, like, the the biggest family-friendly blockbuster summer (laughs) of probably the time that had existed at that time. Um, It reminds me a lot of when we did Gremlins 2. Like, the reason that Gremlins 2 wasn't as successful as everyone expected it to be is because they once again moved it up, which hurt the production time and everything else. 
and put it right up against Dick Tracy so that uh, Dick Tracy wouldn't beat the Batman opening weekend box office. Like Warner Brothers moved Gremlins 2 to literally like make sure it got number two at the box office, but like number two with enough money to make sure Dick Tracy didn't steal their record. And, like, Dick Tracy didn't even make that much money. It actually was kind of a disappointment. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it made, yeah. It did okay. It was nowhere. It was never going to beat. But, again, these, like, this weird, like, petty shit that these studios did, like, that, like, hurt movies is so, like, crazy to look back on Mm -hmm. that someone's like, oh, we don't want to look bad against Secret of fucking Nim. Yeah. They were like, <laughs> like if you could just like look at, read, have read the tea leaves or seen your future two weeks ahead of time, you would have been like, move the release forward. Get it out of here. Right. Get us out of here, Chewy. Like, you can't, I can't fucking believe they just like walked into that minefield willingly God. just to, just to piss on Don Bluth. Ugh. Well, actually, well, it's not even to piss on him, to make sure they weren't embarrassed by him. Yeah. Which is uh, which kind is, of... Which is even funnier. Like, we draw the pretty so pictures. Weird. No one else. Right. We do this. <laughs> no one else does animation. What's it's, Japan? That is that is in keeping with... Yeah, that is that is in keeping with the old school Disney tradition, which is like, if you're in the family, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of you, unless you're in a union. Um, right. Yeah. And, but uh, if you step out of line once, if you join a union... If you even if you even say the words you and N together, we will destroy you. Like that is an old school. That's an old school like Disney tradition that lived on for a very very long time. Right. <laughs> I think I think it old. old <laughs> I, I think it doesn't get much more old school than saying fuck you by then by saying fuck you by trying to take away a potential fuck you from someone else. Like uh uh-uh. uh. You're not going to be able to tell us fuck you later on. We're leaving. (laughs) We're going to take our movie, rub it into the ground. Weekend's yours, asshole. I'm sure Don Bluth was like, great. I don't have to compete against Tron? Yeah, fantastic. (laughs) And you're going to bury it next to Star Trek 2 and E.T.? Great. I'm I'm doing pretty good. I got my own beloved sleeper hit. Awesome. (laughs) Shoot my dick right off. (laughs) Fuck you, Don Bluth. (laughs) Um, um, Never get to see this dick again. Uh, But anyway. uh, Never get to see this dick again. (laughs) Yeah, you never. (laughs) And that's why Mickey Mouse talks like that to this day. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Because he shot his mouse dick off. As a fuck you to Don Bluth uh, while they release Tron. It's in all of the contemporary reporting. I, most people don't know this, but he had to change his name to Dong Bluth because he got to keep his dong. That's right. Yeah, it's a really small print in all the posters because they're like, you essentially only make kids movies. Can we can we not put Dong next to fucking Land Before Time? Yeah, He's yeah. like... Make make that G fucking small, but it's gonna go it's there because I took it from Mickey. <laughs> I'm gonna walk by every poster that I have for my movie with a little magnifying glass and look for my little About, G. And a, around the time he made a troll in Central Park and a and Pebble and the Penguin, <laughs> Mickey's mouse dick grew back. Yeah, you're right. These movies and are then he ost- lost the dong. Yeah, and he lost the dong. That's ostensibly ostensibly kids movies just like tron is ostensibly a child's movie uh did you guys ever see fumbolina that one is hot garbage like childhood memories got to garbage so quickly yeah he really did he did a lot of bad movies 
it's he it did sucks. not have much up the tank. <laughs> no, like, not really. Yeah, he did. Secret of Nim is good. Uh, yeah, like even all dogs go to heaven is garbage in my opinion. I haven't like, I seen it has, so long. I can't. That's because to you it, believe but. all dogs go to hell. No, they're coming with me in my grave, Egyptian style. <laughs> <laughs> all dogs, all dogs get buried with me, Aaron Armstrong. Um, I I feel like he, I feel like he only made like three good movies. I think it's Land Before Time, Secret of Nim, and American Tale. Was he yeah, not involved with right. any of the Land Before Time sequels? No, no, of course not. Yeah, I don't think he could be involved with all twelve or whatever, like all the director. <laughs> so look, videos. look at it. Look at his first three movies. By the way, Secret of Nim made fourteen million dollars at the box office. Oh, <laughs> um, on a budget of seven, though. Oh, okay, well, that's uh, good. Yeah, that's pretty decent. Uh, his first three are Secret of Nim, and then in between, he makes Dragon's Lair and Space Ace, which were huge. Yeah. Um, American Tale, Land Before Time. Then he makes All Dogs Go to Heaven fine. Some people like it. Then he makes Rockadoodle, Thumbelina, A Troll in Central Park, The Pebble and the Penguin, Anastasia, Bartog the Magnificent, directed video, and Titan AE, and then I guess goes away forever. He makes video games now, apparently. That's like what he's been doing. Really? Yeah, yeah. And he teaches like animation classes and stuff. But like, yeah, he oh, basically yeah, he made a movie. He made a game called Tapper World tour that's yeah like it's i don't think these are good games i don't know i feel bad for <laughs> but they're games for, he's a talented guy a, i just i don't know if he should make movies yeah. anymore and that's probably the right thing to do for him but yeah oh well uh but anyways so uh the last thing i have to talk about this movie and then if you guys have any other final thoughts uh i really fucking love the final battle uh i love uh the fact that like david warner gets his pixelated head blown off and they show, like, the pixels come out like blood. And then fucking Master Program resurrects him into this giant monster that looks pretty fucking good for 82. And then uh, you have this, like, I really th- – like, the Master Control really works for me as a piece of, like, animation that just feels wrong. And, like, it shouldn't exist as, like, this beam of, like, cylindrical light yeah. who talks in a weird voice. Like – I could totally see someone watching it and it go, well, this is super cheesy. Uh, but for some reason, it does not. It still feels like menacing and creepy to me. So there's a whole thing going on in the movie where, like, people create digital versions of themselves within the game because they presumably did not think they were going to get uh, zapped and downloaded into the game. And before we move on. The greatest scene in the movie is when Jeff Bridges gets zapped into the the fucking computer, and it's just, that was cool. It's like anatomical. That's really it's cool. Taking off fingertips, and that it's taking off the lower fingers. It's it's so cool. You could take any shot from that and make like a pretty cool electronica movie or album cover from that. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's rad. Also, did I mention Jeff Bridges is really hot in this movie? He is so He's hot. So he hot. looks really fucking good. Because I forgot. Because I watched Starman recently. And anytime he opens his mouth in that movie, not hot. But um, whenever he's just standing there, super hot. But in this, he's just so – he's so charming that he just, like, breaks down any walls you might have. Like, he, yeah. he's, he's – he's, he's, we're lucky he's an actor because otherwise he would be the most successful con man of all time. Because <laughs> um, he's just, like – spend eight minutes with him and you'd be like, yeah, uh, here's my house. And uh, I guess you're marrying my wife now. And uh, here are my car keys. And um, – but he he's uh, – 
he's a, a good a good boy very hot um and all these digital representations of people uh, are built to like be kind of people um, and, and I presume and even the the accounting uh, you know program is presumably the reason he's so friendly in the face of death and the reason Tron is like even trying to be friendly and like has some charm is presumably referring to the fact that these programs are user friendly like yeah. they're they're okay. supposed to be somewhat like usable and, and but master control doesn't have a doesn't have a human face he's an asshole uh he actually is sadistic he gets off on on dragging out the games as long as possible when he could just derez all the all the programs at once um mm-hmm. and uh because of that it makes sense aaron that you like the thing you said you like the like weird it like totally makes sense to me at least why he would be like this funnel of light. Yeah. Cause he's not supposed to be user friendly. He's just supposed to be this fucking like weird errant, like almost virus. Yeah. If he was, he's almost like, uh, the, the digitized version of like a Cronenberg villain that has like seeped all these other parts because that's what he says, right? Like I wasn't created by the users. I'm like an amalgamation of like different programs that have yeah. like been sucked in. And so like, as such, it's like retaining the idea of a human face while still being like a, uh, I don't know my shapes that well, but it's definitely not a shape that I know the name of off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, uh, What's your guys' shape now? Hourglass? <laughs> no, because it, go- it only goes one way. No, it has it's like a, a half hour. like a nexus point, though, like a meeting point. Remember, that's where the disc goes to break them in half. Oh, yeah. But it, but an hourglass doesn't actually go to, like, a full triangle at the bottom. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's, like, two cones. Fun, two funnels is the best I can do. We're going to call it a tronozoid. It's a tronozoid. <laughs> oh, my God. It's one tronozoid. New term. I like it. Were you guys, uh, when you were taking, like, tra- like math in junior high, were you like, I'm going to come up with a new fucking shape, and then you draw it, and you'd be like, mm, that's a trapezoid. Uh, uh, okay, this this is just a circle. I just kept drawing pentagrams. <laughs> My dad would just be like, all shapes are found in nature, Jackie. And I'm like, I think that's bullshit, Dad. <laughs> I was totally one of those kids who was like, when my parents would tell me, or a teacher would tell me something, I'd be like, uh, let me get, let's get up a pen and paper over here. Let's see what you're talking right. about. Let me pull yeah, out the most dictionary. Most of being a kid is whenever uh, whenever a teacher tells you something, you're like, "Fuck you!" Yeah, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna spend my entire life proving you wrong. Uh, just like uh, Tron, just sort of ends. Maybe our segment, yeah. Tron, will just sort of end. Shot of the city, and <laughs> uh, I kind of like the way th- this is the movie. This no, no, Aaron, this one ends with like. like no, I'm not. <laughs> you guys can end it. Uh, I do like the way the city kind of when they turn the lights on and then they do the kind of like uh, fucking uh, Koyakwatsi fast motion thing to kind of give a visual representation of the city as like the vector graphics that you see in Tron. Like, I like that. That's a fun ending. Hmm. Uh, I, I did my think co- is, I, I forgot think. my co-host and my guest. Stopped I will talking, say that's so. that's something that's something that you're you are hitting on something that I want to hit on really hard with Legacy, and that's that Tron's greatest asset is it is about a sense of wonder, a sense of mm-hmm. awe. Whereas, and I think that when it's a straight action kind of thing, it can very often feel kind of awkward and, and weird. And uh, 
Whereas Tron Legacy is very much about thrills, and when it wants you to sort of settle on a moment and feel a sense of awe at the universe, like it doesn't always click. Um, so I, I feel like maybe that's that's uh, all I want to say about Tron is that it's 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 awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's not awful. It's not, it's, it's not awful. It, it it is it is a movie about awe. So that last shot and you being reminded of Quinas. The, the K word movie uh, is uh, I did it. I said some Peter Kunt. Yeah, 154 episodes. Ka- I probably said it wrong. Koyanis. Ka- I feel like there's a second Q in there. Sure, <laughs> there's a first Q. It's it's Koyanis Skotsky. I think Koyanis Skotskys. I was way off. I celebrated uh, a little too early. I, I'm kind of like Mickey Mouse after blowing his dick off. <laughs> I was so much dumber in college, but I could pronounce the K-word movie about nature. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You guys want to talk about Tron Legacy? Yes. Let's talk about Tron Legacy. I loved reading uh, something on the Wikipedia that said Tron. No, it was a quote from somebody who said Tron, which is short for electronic. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I actually, yeah. I actually didn't know that. You should really? have that in the episode proper. I no. didn't think about it. Being Why honest. would I think about that? I, I the, the second I saw the movie, I was like, Tron. I was like, yeah, like electronic, right? Yeah. Well, aren't you a smart boy? No, I can't pronounce Koinosatsi. I was like, I'm dumb, so that's a cool made-up name. Nice. <laughs> There's a lot of names now in this I movie that I probably... Shit. What does Rinsler mean? Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. Rinsler. <laughs> Hey, Aaron, you want to maybe do some alternate taglines? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, What if your dad did go out for cigarettes? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, Aaron, I think... Wait, hold on. I fucked it up. Hold on. I fucked it up. It was supposed to be, what if your dad didn't go out for cigarettes? (laughs) I was going to say, the assumption is always that the dad went out for cigarettes and then just didn't come back. Right. I'm glad I got the laugh. I think the dad still got his six. But I was so excited about that that I fucked it up and I said did instead of didn't. So I think it's funny either way. If you could just, yeah, uh, shake it out of your head, as my daughter says to me. <laughs> um, when when I'm supposed to forget something she's told me or I've learned without her getting a chance to tell me and re-listen to it, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, for sure. So, Peter. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Peter, what is the plot of Tron 2.0? Legacy. Andre Legacy. Legacy. <laughs> Let me see that Legacy. Oh, God. Um, well, here's my family uh, tree. Uh, Tron Legacy is about uh, the heir to uh, Flynn from the first movie, Jeff Bridges. Uh, the heir to Flynn's dynasty uh, is Garrett Hedlund, Kevin Flynn. And he Sam is, Flynn. He lives in a fucking badass shipping container house. And he uh, lost his dad at the uh, the beginning of this movie. Sometime between the end of the last movie and the beginning of this movie, he uh, he disappeared. He basically said, like, come down to the arcade. I'll pick you up. And then uh, <laughs> didn't pick him up. Um, and he was essentially a Steve Jobs figure, you know, or a Bill Gates figure. He was this, like, tech wizard who just disappeared. And no one knows where he went. Hint, hint. 
He's in Tron. <laughs> or not Tron. <laughs> Whatever. Maybe he was inside Tron. I don't know. Um, uh, so, uh, this kid is sort of at a distance from the corporation that uh, he... he has majority shares on and he can install himself as the ceo at any point uh but he uh once he turns 18 which he's not at the beginning of this movie and he he keeps he's you know he's uh 27 years old not the beginning of the movie Mm -hmm. he's 27 years old the whole movie no he's a kid at the beginning they show flashbacks oh you mean when he's like a kid kid yeah Uh, i meant like the beginning of the movie i thought you meant like between when he entered entered tron and got out of tron let's just call the world tron also tron world yeah that's fine new 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 rule i wish that there was a line similar to that joke about the end of frankenstein where they named the monster frankenstein (laughs) i wish there was a joke in this movie where jeff bridge is like and i named the world tron after my buddy (laughs) tron (laughs) might as well because tron doesn't get much to do in his uh, legacy movie (laughs) yeah yeah okay so oh look uh, at that guy throwing discs that's tron (laughs) (laughs) so kevin is also trying to guide his name is sam (laughs) <laughs> his name is absolutely sam i know because my daughter watched the first half of this movie and i had to explain a lot to her <laughs> wait who's kevin kevin oh. flynn is the main guy in the first one yeah kevin is oh. jeff bridges you're confused well, because most of the characters call him k-dog <laughs> yeah k-dog you doing all that <laughs> all right so sam the young the son son of kevin uh, that's, great movie. That's I love that Universal Horror. You're a son of Kevin, um, but uh, I am Sam, Sam, son of Kevin. Sam is trying to guide the the future of the company, essentially, but also doesn't want a part of it. And yada yada. Um, and uh, essentially, he's he gets a lead from uh, Alan. Right, Alan's his name from the last movie. He's on the Encom board. Um, yep, and he gets a lead from him, essentially saying, "Hey, your dad sent me a page." And he's like, my dad's been gone for 20 whatever years. And he's like, go to his old arcade. And he gets, uh, Sam gets zapped into the Tron world. Whoa. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's whoa. like, whoa. It's like, what is even real, man? Um, yeah, it's, it's like that Maya song. My love is like, whoa, except yeah. my getting sucked into the machine is like, whoa. Yeah, my Tron is like, whoa. Whoa. Um, <laughs> If I ever make an album, it is 100% going to be called My Tron is Like Whoa. <laughs> and I'm leaving the ellipses. <laughs> My Tron is Like Ellipses Whoa. <laughs> okay, so imagine the world is essentially like a fascist music video. Like there's all these bad cops around. They're put, they're gathering up uh, people, undesirables, and putting them into a, a, a death arena. And uh, Sam competes, does very well, and uh, essentially right before he's about to die, um, he – oh, no, he's, he right before he's about to die, they discover he's human. He's a user, and he gets brought upstairs, and a dude takes off his mask, and it's his dad from whatever, 20 years ago. And his, uh, his – it's uh, – but he's uh, evil, and he's running these Coliseum games, and it's like, what the fuck's that all about? And you find out that that's Clue, which is actually a program that uh, his dad designed 20-whatever years ago to help him build this perfect virtual utopia. And uh, Clue went off the deep end and tried to kill uh, Sam's dad, tried to kill Kevin, Jeff Bridges. And uh, 
right as he's about to kill, uh, you know, his fake son, the son of his creator, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, in a way, his brother. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in a way, Jesus. Uh, he gets rescued by Olivia Wilde, who's a program, and uh, Jeff Bridges, uh, his dad. So he finds out his dad is alive, but they're living literally off the grid. Uh, <laughs> in the most literal off the grid I've ever seen. And essentially, Sam is like, all right. We've only got a limited window to get the fuck out of here. Let's get the fuck out of here. Uh, his dad is like, uh, no, if he gets this disc, uh, Clue gets this disc, he can, I think it's, he can escape to other systems, get out of the game. He can, he can do all sorts of havoc in the real world. Um, the disc contains all of your knowledge and physiology and everything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Sam, and as happens in movies, Sam is like, I'm going to go into the city and figure this shit out. Fuck you, Pops. Yeah, fuck you, Pops. Yeah. And and then uh, <clears throat> he gets in trouble. Pops and Olivia Wilde go rescue him. <clears throat> and uh, there's sort of a running away from the bad... There's sort of a running away from the bad guys kind of thing. And I, I'll skip ahead to the end, which is basically... Uh, they're in a battle against Clue. They're trying to stop his army. The very last minute... Uh, Jeff Bridges, Kevin Flynn sacrifices himself to save his son. And uh, Olivia Wilde, which you should And Olivia Wilde, is, that's who like to a- go out in the real world. And uh, Sam says, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take the company over. I've got a girlfriend and my Ducati. Uh, life's good. And then he goes and drives near some trees. I, uh, you should talk about what Olivia Wilde is. Olivia Wilde is an ISO, mm-hmm. which is essentially a digital, a stepped-on people that arose organically in the system and have um, a special sort of genetic component. There's something. There's something unique about them because they arose. They they are organic life. They are evolved life. They were not created uh, specifically for a specific reason, like a program would be. So they exist in a digital environment, but they are real. And Clue, in his in his efforts to wipe out everything that wasn't perfect, uh, became a little bit of a digital fascist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called him Adolf Bittler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he did a uh, d- digital de- genocide, which was a real gen- genocide if you live in a digital world, uh, on these people and killed, I think, every last one of them except for Olivia Wilde. Yep. If I remember the lore correctly. And it, and Olivia Wilde is the most problematic part of this whole movie. Um. Yeah, I think it makes sense to start at the most important part. And that is while I was watching this movie, I go, huh. I really don't remember Killian Murphy being in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> you think he's going to be a big deal? He doesn't even he doesn't even have a digital version of himself. He's in, in there for like two minutes. Why? Why is the number one most important thing about Tron Legacy we need to talk <laughs> about? I couldn't find anything online. Why is Killian Murphy in this movie for one minute? The one speculation I've heard is that he's going to be in like a third movie. This was a huge hit. Um, but that's literally all I've got, and I've, I haven't heard anything else. I've heard like that's the one rumor. That's all I got. That could make sense. Is that in the next movie he would be he would be Sam's rival? At- he would be a fucking awesome villain. Yeah, and this is right after this is right in the avatar, avatar years where these big movies started to creep above two hours, and now yeah. fucking uh, we're on the edge of the new Avengers movie, which is going to be I, I, the length of a Bellatar movie, and 
they that was, I, I could have seen this movie Equal being a two and a half hour cut and then someone mercifully cut it down to two hours mm-hmm. that had yeah. more of him which is funny because like I this movie feels long in the way that Tron feels zippy to me this yeah. movie both feel 10 minutes too long the third act I actually was feel really like, long for Tron Legacy. See, like, I at one point it was like, this could have cut like 15 minutes. Even See, though we, that dogfight is really great, yeah. it, is, it is like th- there was something between that dogfight and hanging out at the house that could have could have been cut. See, weirdly, I feel like it actually is like one of those too short, too long movies. Mm. Like, it's an hour before they get to Jeff Bridges. Um, and then by the time they're actually like out there in the world, like bar, the, the, the transport, finding the army, like most of the cool Tronny stuff, like you're at like 30 minutes left. I was in, it, I paused at the beginning of the, um, the bar scene and it said like an hour, 25 minutes. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like. They really, like, waited to show a lot of the cool stuff, minus the initial, like, light cycle battle. Um, And I feel like that was a mistake uh, from a pacing perspective, because once I was... uh, Because I was a little bit like, this has gone on too long. And so by the time it got to the really cool stuff, I was kind of ready to be done with the movie. I both agree, yet I think the the first hour is pretty well paced. Like, I think the discovery of Jeff Bridges comes at this perfect point where you can finally, like, breathe a little bit. Because the first hour is just, like, nonstop action sequences. And they're all really good. Like... Kevin hacking in is good, though it could have been shorter, could have been not in the movie. I feel like the real world. The light cycle stuff is is amazing. So I'm going to be the asshole. (laughs) I I think the light cycle stuff is good. It's not as good as the ending uh, plane cycle fight uh, visually. But in a weird way, it was somehow less compelling to me than the one in Tron. And I know that sounds... I'm, I'm glad that Peter knows me well enough to know that I'm not saying that to be, like, just uh, just someone who's like, mm, I like the original better. Because I really I actually thought I liked Tron Legacy better. But there was something, like, weird and simplified about, like, a game that I've seen before being played out in... Um, in the the way they kind of like created it in 1982 as opposed to this which feels re- like it is cool to look at i love the shot of clue coming out to the slow motion fireworks that was in all the trailers it's fucking great but yeah. then the light cycle battle itself feels a little bit too busy for me like it just, just feels like i it's just too like how dynamic on. it is like people are it, it turns in there's a moment when one of them punches the other and i was like yeah. holy shit it it, it it like became a road rage thing like they they can it, it's uh, you could see like the evolution of the game because in the other ones they were in sort of sealed pods and and there wasn't much you can do it was like the definition of a 2d game and yeah. them getting to throw in more tricks and and the fact that like yeah that, that that's where it became 3d i could see where you you could get you could see it was like a little too hyper. Yeah, like there's five guys and there's different level. Like it, and it just felt a little bit. And again, I actually think in my from my perspective, it suffered a little watching it back to back because I I remember being completely wowed about it, and and instead this time I was a little bit like, yeah, there's some cool stuff here, but it it just feels a little bit like let's do the exact same thing but more in a way that ends up lessening it 
I just feel like it's an entire it's shot an entirely different way. Yeah. This movie is shot all the action sequences are shot in a post matrix era. So the, there's a far more dynamic camera. They can throw in slow-mo shots. They can throw in a lot of that those modern sort of uh, techniques for making action sequences more exciting. Um, there's a lot more of that sort of sexiness. I'm not saying that it makes it better or worse, um, but it just feels so it's like such a different beast. And like I feel like Tron is working in 2D and Tron Legacy is working in 3D, and the movies treat them as such. Like the cameras treat them as such, and and I feel like they they give. <clears throat> they give entirely different thrills uh, to one another that like three is like we have we have so much more we can take advantage of but two is like maxing out what the 2d concept could be yeah I think that's a fair read um, I will say like my my biggest disappointment in the movie and then I want to talk about all the stuff that we all like is actually like I love the ending um adding the kind of like beams of solid light behind the like uh plane sequence or whatever at the end mm-hmm. and i feel like it's somewhat like my my reservations about the movie and the things i love about that movie is all like contained in that scene because oh my gosh when they're like doing the spins and the energy beams are coming and like it is so like makes you want to stand up and just like cheer it's dynamic i love the action it looks gorgeous it is is everything i love about this movie and then instead of just fighting with the lights garrett headland has like his machine gun thing that he's shooting at which doesn't really have much of an impact but it feels like oh this is the action thing we need we need the machine gun instead of like leaning into what made the world so special which is like yeah you don't really see weapons in the first tron you don't really see weapons in the all of tron up to this point either and like that's why they use their weird disc things and disappearing pixels and the 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 things that become sudden barriers like i mean they're gun there were the, the first movie literally begins with a tank battle yeah but it's like tanks are guns Okay, but no, I don't think the tanks shoot anything. Um, you know, so I know there's a little bit of lasers in the bar scene too, but again, it's like it. It just is like it feels like some sort of like modern action quota that's like weirdly appended onto this beautiful image in a way that like slightly decreases my uh, enthusiasm for the scene. It, it just gave me more Star Wars vibes, which I yeah. liked. It's just it, it it gave me the you know the ball ball fighter the ball cockpit scenes from star wars that i love so much those that's just that's basically how i read it and so i got a little thrill out of that and but yeah i mean they probably could have just like avoided that and made the the flight mechanics more complex but i don't know yeah so i mean again that's i think that's like my 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 reservations within a microcosm it's they had this opportunity to do something that was different because the whole point is you're in this weird computer world where there really isn't there, there is a lot of strange stuff that doesn't quite match. And then at the end, they're like, uh, a gun, a machine gun. And and somehow that just doesn't work for me. But it's surrounded by everything I love about the movie, too. So yeah. we can pivot to that. But that's like that's my that's my why I think I like the first Tron better. Like, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And it feels a little bit more cookie cutter as an action movie. I liked most of it, so we can we can pivot to that. 
Um, I think the style of the movie is something we should talk about right now. Yeah. Because there's... There's a cons- it's a it's far more consistent I think stylistically yeah uh, which is not necessarily always a plus I think that by I think if you shave ten minutes off the movie it's always a plus but by the end of the movie I think the blues and, and oranges and, and reds uh, sort of lost some of their luster for me where I was like uh, by the time we were leaving the city I was like I'm totally ready to leave um, <laughs> like I, I wasn't like take me back um, which I guess the movie thematically is also like nobody wants to stay in the city the city is a fascist hellhole um, the utopia failed but um, it's it's less geom- geometrically simple um, yeah the designs are far more complex but it also like the original Tron has more of like a unique aesthetic that hasn't been totally copied like I can't put my finger on what else has done it yeah um, but this one has like more of the what were we talking about recently where I said it's not uh, existence yeah existence is not influenced by the Apple design ethos at all that yeah. monochromatic clean white lines clean lines like that sort of apple aesthetic existence is like veering the opposite direction like let's go towards organic let's go towards rustic let's go towards real um let's go towards fleshy and gross mm-hmm. uh this movie's vision of the future if you would call it that uh is more apple influenced and yeah. and so it does feel a little bit less special but joseph kosinski is such a um incredible visual stylist that like every moment of this punches like Pun- it just punches in terms of style. Like, you, yeah, you, I never, I, I rare, I didn't get sick of looking at that Apple design aesthetic, that neon cyberpunk design aesthetic, the whole movie, which shocked me. What? I thought the movie was going to lose its luster literally after ten minutes in Tron World. I think you can make the case though that 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 actually makes a lot of sense thematically too, because like the original Tron reflects the aesthetic of video games in 1982. And I think Tron Legacy, um, you know, res- uh, reflects the aesthetic of a video game in 2010, which is uh, – and I mean that like in-world too because it's not supposed to take place in the future as far as I know. Uh, it is supposed to take place in like 2010. Uh, and so, of course, like a computer world, a video game world, whatever else would like – even if they're playing the same games – would would be updated graphically into an aesthetic that the the public at large is is wowed by um and in a in a real life version there's a in the in like the playstation vr disc that comes with the uh if you buy a playstation vr uh it has like this disc that has like six different games it has that uh going under the shark thing that a lot of people played and the the heist the little london guy Ritchie movie that you get in there uh and one is just a update of pong uh and that update of you don't quite realize it's update or like pong slash brick breaker but like you are in almost like the same case uh that uh it looks like they are in tron legacy uh, at the beginning, like a glass clay case, and you you move your head in the VR thing to like your head is the paddle, and you're using that to like you know try to get past your opponent and score goals. Um, and it just it just reminded me so much, like oh yeah, I've seen this throughout all of like um, all of video games, like Game Boys and Nintendos and computer games, like the way they take these very like basic 
games, Pong and everything else, and then keep updating them in a way that makes sense for the technology because at its core, Missile Command, Asteroids, Pong, Pac-Man, whatever else, like they're fun to play. They have a very basic, easy system. So there's always these like whether it's shovelware or like trying to create a new game for VR, uh, updated versions. And I think that like like that works in the Tron, like in universe for Tron. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of like that. I mean, I I think it's funny. This movie has more to say about computer computers and like the the future of computers than it even does about video games. It's funny. Like, I think aesthetically, you're right that like the Tron world in Legacy matches a video game, but the movie itself, a lot of the themes are about like computer programming and like whether software should be privatized or free, there's like kind of a meta text going on in the whole movie. And it's funny that it, to do that, it has to veer away from making like a more of a direct commentary on programs themselves and like gaming. Yeah. I think that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, actually I did respond to that really well. I liked the sense of like, this is a movie kind of confronting how, the digitized utopia has failed and we kind of have to reconcile ourselves with that. Like clue is like the perfect example of it. He's like this angry robot. who's basically asking his creator, like I did what you asked it of me. Like I tried to make a perfect world and ultimately that perfect world is actually awful. Like you can't just force a utopia. It was interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's why, I mean, as shallow it is, as it is, that hmm. is why, like, the final shots in the movie are, are him in uh, uh, Sam and Olivia Wilde out um, driving in, like, the woods and driving in, a, in an actual city that's yeah. alive. Like, uh, something that's wild, something that's unkept, but, you know, not necessarily, like, literal wild. Like, a city is also, you know, a, a form of... Um, barely controlled chaos um and and uh that that sort of theming totally runs throughout the movie but like yeah yeah i totally see that where where um it it is about how trying to have a sense of control can quickly descend into fascism if you aren't careful with allowing um democratic voices uh allowing you know wild variables allowing wild experimentation wild you know you know like the, essentially he didn't like the isos because they were unpredictable yeah yeah there's a lot going on there i mean the movie's not subtle about it like there's literally a couple shots of clue in front of the the troopers or whatever that's basically trying yeah. to will where i was like okay let's just calm down a bit movie <laughs> like, did this let's... movie need digital nazis did this right, need an right. Adolf Hitler? i don't i don't think so i think it could have gotten its points across with the coliseum stuff and found a more fun way to talk about the fact that he's this goofy perfectionist as opposed to leaning into genocide politics, which I think makes the last act. I mean, it's also hard because so much of our, our so much of our entertainment is about um, modern Nazis or fighting, <laughs> yeah. you know, 1940s Nazis like Star Wars is still there's there's the First Order and there's the Empire and they're essentially just space Nazis. Like we're kind of almost like numb to the fact that so much of our our pop culture is just like 
fascists are bad, which is true. It's, I'm glad that we exist in an environment where there's a mainstream belief that fascism is bad. But I think it does kind of like when you take it too easy, I think people don't engage with like what actual fascism is as opposed yeah. to just like uh, they wear uh, Hugo Boss coats and <laughs> uh, they give big speeches in front of crowds. They're all mean. They have, they have tanks. They're real mean people. Yeah, they're really neat. <laughs> well, <laughs> they, they, they clean up after themselves. <laughs> well, I was watching this essay too on like uh, Triumph of the Will and basically like the guy was talking about how many movies take shots from it and he was like that's actually not a good thing because that's literally what she wanted she wanted it was a, it was literally a propaganda movie so like that's kind of doing the movie's work for it where we're just recapturing pieces of it over and over and over and it's it well, that's was really the whole disturbing thing. that's kind of the whole thing about like a lot of people including probably you know myself in the last few years you know uh kind of realized the the danger of treating nazis as cartoon villains that no one yeah. could ever like approach again like because so much of our fiction is like based on like like how much nazi related comedy has there been mm-hmm. in the last you know from from stuff i love like mr show sketches and stuff like that like hitler has almost exclusively been a punchline for the last like 40 years of pop culture uh which is different than when he was a punchline for like the great dictator which was like taking the piss out of a you know a figure who was very much active where now we've kind like of you would go and see newsreels you'd go and watch newsreels before the great dictator yeah. in the same theater <laughs> yeah i mean there was a lot of that at the time which was like trying to uh, not humanize him, but make him seem like the uh, like that his goals were not serious, that he was actually not like this super genius. So at the time, it kind of works as like reverse propaganda, right? Like this is not some like new god of a master race. This is a fucking idiot who is trying to hurt and exterminate people and blah, blah, blah. Where like that. But that ethos kind of continued uh, to the point that like and everyone was really like looked back at that or at least like people probably my age and uh, baby boomers looked at that as like well that was crazy <laughs> uh, that came out of nowhere they're just like true villains that can't happen again and like we made jokes about like existing Nazis like neo-Nazis are like in like Bad Boys 2 and so many other movies are like depicted the KKK are depicted these like <gasps> bumbling idiots that there's maybe 20 of them tops <laughs> so yeah um so yeah it's not it's not surprising but it does mean that uh a lot of people are going back and watching movies like this and going oh we made it too normal mm-hmm. yeah and then and then new fascists are like well i'm not a bumbling goof and i uh, don't have a leather jacket so i'm not yeah a, they, i'm not like them i'm uh i'm a be a nuts kind of guy yeah really? i'm not a cartoon villain like, that's what yeah. they're saying. Like, I'm not a cartoon villain because that's unfortunately what we created Nazism with. Yeah. And, and for a, a second act, uh, a second act reveal, I feel like if you're going to cut anything, it's that you cut that there's actually like all of these references to genocide uh, for, for the ISOs and you stop playing that up and like... I don't know, maybe have them have a victorious moment taking back the city or they're like, I'm, we're going to recreate it in our own way. Like, so literally anything, but like, they're all dead except for Olivia Wilde and she left the game. Right. 
yeah, like that's just it. it, it that I really like the movie as like a thr- a thrilling piece of of you know spectacle filmmaking, but there are some real life political stuff that seeps in that like makes me get distracted from how how awesome and how compelling the the fun is and like well and, and I know the concept not, of the I, ISOs like I yeah. think that's super compelling this idea I love the like, ISOs yeah like the problem is is that so much of it is like told in flashback because again we're post genocide we're post isos genocide (laughs) in the movie itself um but like conceptually it's a great idea that they kind of don't spend as much time on with either the characters because all we get is olivia wilde where it's like a twist with 30 minutes to go that she was an iso um and then we just get the story of the isos told in a quick flashback and so like oh hey the idea of organic life evolving in a computer program where it's both is pretty fucking cool. Maybe focus on that. Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I agree. There's other ways to make someone a villain other than just literally making them a digital Hitler. Um, digital Stalin. Wait, digital <laughs> Stalin. Can we talk about Digital Bowie? Uh, digital Bowie? Wait, Caster? Yeah, there's a Michael Sheen, yeah. Oh my god. Oh, oh my god. I want to like, talk about Michael Sheen in this movie. He's great. Uh, he's so good. fun. I would hundred so percent put an Oscar. He's like my Oscar nomination list for uh, best supporting actor in this movie. Yeah. He's in it oh for my like god, yeah. ten minutes and he's glorious. And clearly the director was like, You can do anything you want. Please just do it. Like, they were like, the we best. just need this stuff. The whole club scene is just basically like, we need you to add color to this world, right. to make it a little wilder. You are a chaos element in this world. Yeah. So fucking act like it. And then there's literally a moment where he has, his club is being raided. Presumably this is not going to go great for him, but whatever. And he te- he points his cane at uh, Daft Punk <laughs> and he's like, yeah, let's let's make some milk. Let's make some noise. Like, yeah. And then Daft Punk are like, presumably they sh- they're in the DJ booth and they're presumably like, you know what? Whatever happens, let's make some music. Yeah, I love that. Kind of look at each other and they just go, like, yeah, let's get the, some fight music going. He's yeah. got the best like cane flip. Yeah, I don't know what you call it. Like where you do like the, the spinning around the cane, but then it ends up like in your armpit. He's got the best one of those since Jim Carrey and Batman Forever. Now you can say a lot. About Jim Carrey and Batman Forever, and oh, he yes. did. But you can't deny his cane flip abilities. Mm. Guy knew how to work a cane. Guy knew how to work a cane. Michael Sheen brings that level of cane expertise yeah. back on the big screen. It's like him. With the same Willy amount Wonka of neon. And Jim Carrey from The Riddler. <laughs> no, he's um, he's fantastic in this movie. Like, I, I also love, too, how like he's somebody who has... I mean, I I think if I was anything I would critique the general Tron universe for, it's like, there's no sense of, like, actors, like, characters as actors with principal, like, motivations and goals. Like, that's the thing. A lot of the programs in this world, maybe understandably, like, they're not supposed to have a lot of autonomy. Or, you know, if they do... You just want to do your taxes. Right. They're, like, sent... They're, like, weird sentient programs. They've gone haywire. And I like the caster is, like, somebody with, like, his own agenda. He's doing his own thing. He's he's not a good guy. And he ends up fucking himself over. And I, I like how the movie gives him a complete arc in that sense. He goes from the guy in the know. He's kind of secretly hiding out, basically. And then he destroys himself because he asks for too much. He bit up, he bit off more than he could chew and uh, gets blown up. 
So, you know. He kind of, I think he kind of helps, I, I, you know, I think, uh, ironically, he helps uh, solidify um, the fact that this is, like, not a real city. Yeah. Very, most of its denizens are kind of operating through programming, and there are a few of them that are this extra level of self-aware that, like... He he realizes what his role is in this game, and uh, he didn't like it, so he's just gonna keep flipping the script until he likes the way it sh- it, it turns up. And he he's uh, it, it makes a lot of sense that like not every program would be like this, but it's similar to the Merovingian in Matrix Reloaded. Yeah, where. Yeah. Where he's like this power player within the system because almost because of his sense of self awareness. Yeah. Uh, not so much because like he got the most guns or he had the most uh, Daft Punks. Uh, he has two of them. <laughs> he got double mm-hmm. Daft Punks. Double, double Daft. Daft. Punks. Like, yeah, unless you count a Daft Punk as a single unit of two Daft Punks, in which case he has a pair of punks. Mm-hmm. Yep, he's yeah. got a DP. The DP, and it's. Uh, can we talk about the soundtrack? We yes. talk about it all. Let's talk about the soundtrack. Fantastic. Uh, it and is then we need to circle dripping. around. It. Yeah, it is so good. I was listening to it, uh, walking around like doing laundry and shit, and I was just like, "Fuck, this is like so cool." All of my actions feel way more epic than they are. <laughs> they the movie is shot gorgeously. Mm-hmm. Like every shot is well composed. Joseph Kosinski is uh, essentially a music video director turned uh, regular movie director. There's not much to talk about here except for that Oblivion is like one of those awkward sci-fi movies that doesn't entirely make sense. But like because it's so gorgeously it's, it's gorgeous, shot, yeah. You ca- who cares? There's a yeah. sequence in it that's a set that makes no literal sense. There's this whole like slaughter scene with these robots taking on. Uh, the human camp and it is amazing um yeah i love i love oblivion only just because it just is gorgeous to look at yeah well he but he him matched with the daft punk visuals just make this such a sumptuous daft punk music just make this such a sumptuous movie to watch i love all the environments of this movie i love how everything is like this like sticky beautiful glow to it like even when you're off the grid um it it just really does feel like a fantasy land in the best way for me um i i it's funny there's like science fiction you know it's very like grim and gritty there's kind of like dune where it's like in the sands and like you know you're kind of in these like awkward suits and it's meant to look shitty like it's not meant to be like this epic feast for the eyes but this is supposed to be uncomfortable yeah it's uncomfortable exactly and this is like beautiful and sleek and and voluptuous and i kind of fucking love it um it's funny though yeah you can feel the texture of it the texture of the movie feels like leather exactly there's a lot there's a lot of real costumes in it that like it's not all smooth, textureless nonsense. Like you can feel the sort of uh, yeah, the, I can, you, there's no better word for it. You can feel the texture of the film, which is so important. So it's funny actually. Kaczynski's kind of a cruise guy now after Oblivion, where like Cruz is like, I want to work with you, and so he's doing Top Gun too. Uh, and honestly, yeah. like in terms of match of material and director, you know, pretty solid. That's like a solid choice for that. I mean that Tony Scott was a, yeah. a fucking music video director like that kind of guy where he's just like he had that sort of aesthetic where um, 
like the hunger is kind of a boring movie but it's one of the most gorgeously shot movies ever i need to see that well i just just watched you should watch hunger it's the movie where bowie plays a vampire i do i want to see it, it. I, I will he love literally it i'm stood sure at the top of a uh, brooklyn bridge or whatever whatever some bridge uh, he took in the st- stood on the top of brooklyn bridge and then screamed until his lungs went raw to try and get the old man voice that sounds right i'm into it's, it it's i'm awesome. into it no actually it's um, funny though i did just watch top gun last week not good but i was like yeah i can see why kaczynski's gonna do the next one okay <laughs> uh i do think we need to talk about the the bridges in the room mm. uh, and that's that's a man by the name of jb jeff bridges <sighs> he got a lot of uh guff for playing the dude from big lebowski in this movie <laughs> um, which he does. Like I, I don't know. I know that's an internet joke. It's but also he's so much accurate. more ambitious. Like he's like he, he's defined by being a man of high ambition in this movie, which is the opposite of what Lebowski is. Well, exactly. I mean, just like the way he talks and stuff like that. But worth noting that like Jeff Bridges signed back on so that he could have a creative input into his character, and he wanted his character to like embody all of these kind of. Uh, Buddhist themes. Now, much like a lot of the other themes in this movie, they don't go too deep in it, but his kind of whole decision is that he couldn't beat Clue. And so his only way to to win, especially after the genocide, is to just remove himself from both worlds, from the yeah. game, where he is just like, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to trust that goodness in some, you know, in some ways prevails, or at least ch- not so much goodness prevails as that change is ever like flowing. And as such, like eventually there will be an internal uprising that will take clue down. Doesn't mean that it won't be replaced with something better or worse, but like it is a system and that's what systems do. And so he, but he doesn't want to artificially empower clue or probably anyone else by, um, by intervening and potentially losing his disc with all his knowledge. So part part of the, like his character is supposed to be that he has kind of realized that control, which is how he programmed Clue in the first place, uh, to to create a perfect system and exert control uh, was was incorrect. And as such, he has kind of adopted this philosophy in the in the intervening years. And I think that that matches well with probably the dialogue that Jeff Bridges wanted to say as well. Uh, it does feel very natural. I remember the first time I watched this movie, the line I liked them. Some of it does feel a little bit put on, but uh, or just like Jeff Bridges playing the dude. But I do really like that line where he goes to meditate out on the uh, train car or whatever it yeah. is, where he's like, I'm going to knock on the sky and see how it sounds like mm-hmm. it's, it's a good it's a fun line. It's a great delivery. Like. Some of it works for me. There are a couple clunky things, though. Like biochemical I mean, jazz, I think it's a little... Yeah, yeah, it's not great. Well, Bridges, Bridges, I mean, in real life, he has a labyrinth in his, like, estate, so he can just walk around. So I yeah. completely 100% buy that he want to write some of this stuff, because he's just like, yeah, this is what I do every day sometimes. Yeah, so he could feel, to to him, he knows how long these movies, these movie shoots are, these, uh, these big budget movie shoots are, particularly when you're shooting for two characters. Because um, he's doing, he wasn't doing the body work of, of Clue, yeah. he was doing face work to help them have a model, and he did the voice work, obviously, and then they did some sort of digital technique to make the voice sound younger. Yeah. Um, and that the voice stuff is really great, actually, it is, because yeah. watching the movies back to back, you're like, this just sounds like 
this just sounds like young Jeff Bridges. Like they did a really nice job on that. Even you know the voice is fantastic. Uh, voice the is great. Face, but, yeah, yeah. They shouldn't the have face. used Mario Paint. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the face is very weird and uh, very excited for Gemini Man to come out and make everyone remember why this, it's a horrible crime to do this to people. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, yeah worth worth underlying it. what. Worth underlining what Pete said at the beginning, though. Like, I saw this in 2010. I remember being incredibly impressed. It was so cool in the theaters. I remember being like, I remember just, just uh, as a spectacle thing. I was just sat there. I just sat there and my jaw hit the floor. And I was just like, they did magic. It felt like film magic at the time. And it's, it's uh, a depressing fact about CGI that, that, uh, over time, sometimes the film magic you can you can start to see the strings, and then all you can see are the strings. <laughs> I like. Well, and again, yeah. that's just just to circle back for a sec. I think that's what makes Tron so impressive. Like, I, I felt there was not visual effects in Tron that made me wince as much as Jeff Bridges in the 2010. Yeah, uh, and in, so in some ways, the 1982 literally pioneering first time special effects in computer graphics held up more on my eyes in 2019 than the one from nine years ago. Yeah, it's just that that basic principle I was talking about to Peter earlier that, like, you know, any effects that are trying to uh, show the real, to characterize the real, they age the worst, and anything that's, like, really absurd and is obviously, like, completely fictional, I have no... It always ages well and I have no problem with it. Like... A lot of the Tron Legacy effects, I think, really hold up. Like oh, nine, yeah. year, nine years later, it's been nine years, which is crazy, and they hold up because none of this is showing a real world. Like this is a, a false, like beautiful sci-fi land. And like I'm like, yes, that's fine. I don't need you to show me the muscles of a human face. It's going to be terrifying in ten years. Yeah. So like, there's <laughs> a there's a fucking. Um... There's, there's, uh, I, I think what's commonly known as the worst CGI uh, is in in a major movie. I shall, I will say, obviously, the worst CGI would be in some sort of sci-fi movie, um, SYFY movie. Um, but the, in, in Scorpion King, they have oh. this. There's this problem where it's a scorpion with uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson on top of him. Yeah. And he's literally a Scorpion King. And the problem with that shot is not that they made a CGI Scorpion. Um, it's that, because it's almost like if you hold your hand over the rock half, you're like, the Scorpion looks okay, whatever. It's the fact that they had this completely rendered version of the rock on top that you're like, no, no, no. I know what the rock looks like with his shirt off swinging a sword. I've seen right. it in actually a lot of movies in the same movie, actually. Um, but the weird thing is let's, let's go to the same series, almost entirely the same team in the previous mummy movie. There are so many CGI effects that um, show their age for the late, the late nineties. Yeah. Um, but they, none of them look that bad because most of them are uh, fantastical in a pure way. Like, a, like a, a face made out of sand in the sand looks amazing because yeah. it's – I don't know what a sand face demon looks like. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I don't know what the fuck it looks like. So it looks great. But as soon as you put an actual face in there and the face starts stretching open and you start making doing weird things with Arnold Vusloo's actual face, you're like, oh, that's – that's where that's where things get hinky. Yeah. 
But yeah, the Jeff Bridges thing, I don't think anybody would really defend it now, except for that it did push forward this form of, of uh, art, that this form of digital filmmaking that arguably after the Peter Cushing in Rogue One thing maybe shouldn't exist. Nope. It's I'm like, please stop. Please, love of God. Let me Maybe be. we shouldn't Hopefully be we all like the face. Irishman. <laughs> From Netflix. This oh, God, break. no. Let's also talk about, real quickly, the, I don't know if you guys know about this, that almost every major actor, when they're in a movie, uh, uses a, a very, very small version of this in movies to make themselves look younger. It's a specific piece of technology. Really? And uh, actors use this. Actors literally use a, a tiny version of this to smooth out wrinkles and, and such. And uh, it's part of their contract. And also a huge part of the contract is that effects uh, houses aren't allowed to talk about who has and has not used it. And who has, who did and did not demand it for their shots. Oh, my God. I feel like I have noticed that because there's sometimes where I'm watching movies and I'm going, something looks off with that person's face. Oh, really? And sometimes they'll do other actors in the scene that didn't demand it, because otherwise you'll see the grains of fucking Tom Hanks's face, but you won't in X actor's face. That's why everything's streaming now, because then you watch it and you go, oh, I'm assuming it's a streaming artifact, not the fact <laughs> this person. So it's all conspiracy. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. it. You're tuned into Joe Rogan's film podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it You're is killing literally Blu-rays. a thing. It's a thing that's been happening underneath your, uh, you know, like underneath your your knowledge or your scope for a long time. Um, it's just that when it's a full face, you can be like, "What the fuck's going on here?" Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we probably do need to get to. Uh, not surprisingly, we had two movies to cover. Uh, what are some other scenes we need to talk about before we go to some final thoughts? I'd like to talk a little bit, Olivia Wilde. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. So. It's a funny thing. I the the character just I don't know. There there's something a little off about the character where it's like she really needs to be more fleshed out. But I just want to say an anime, she's an anime girl, a robot girl. She totally girlfriend. is an she's, anime girlfriend. Yeah. She, she's just like a pretty girl Very for innocent, the boy to chase you know. after. Innocent, naive like yeah. Uh one thing I want to say though, Livy Wild is really fucking good in this movie. Like for yeah. all of like the lack of sh- stuff she gets to work with really explicitly. <laughs> She's great. Like, her last shot, because that's just her face. It's like basically a close-up of her, like, looking at the sun with, like, this huge wonder and, like, this, like, amazement and fear and joy. I was like, why the fuck wasn't she the biggest movie star in the world? Why yeah, did she, that never she's happen? Great in everything. Like, she's great she really in everything. She's great in everything. She's good in like everything she's in, and she's in a lot of bad movies. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I went and looked at her. IMDb, I think that's what tripped like, her up. Yeah, she just yeah, she just didn't pick good projects or whatever else because yeah, shitty even now stuff. she doesn't have a lot of stuff coming out and she just keeps picking or her agent or whatever else. Like, but yeah. she's, I mean, she always delivers a really good performance. I really like this a performance. A few years ago, I thought she stepped away for family reasons. She yeah. did. She had a couple kids. I think yeah, I don't know what if that's still the story or not. No, she was in uh what's oh. that movie that everyone made fun of last year, Life Itself? Oh god, yeah. Oh, no. She's like one of the main characters in that. So she's uh, she came back unfortunately with oh, the same. She is directing a movie which looks really good oh. actually. I watched the trailer. It's really fucking which, funny. It's a high school comedy uh about two women, two high school girls and like the last day of school and it looks really funny. Uh check out the trailer. I don't remember the name of it, 
but it looks actually great. Uh, Abigail Breslin's in it, like grown up Abigail oh. Breslin. Um, well, that's awesome. Hopefully, yeah. it's uh, hopefully it's really good, and maybe yeah. then she can add herself in some movies that she's directing herself. Yeah. That is definitely a problem in Hollywood sometimes, uh, role wise. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not there's never much of a, a desire to dig deeper in any of the concepts they uh, they throw out there. Um, <laughs> Can we talk about the invisible elephant that makes no noise, no waste, and may not even exist? Garrett Hedlund. Oh so yeah. So he yeah. Uh, he is again. He's he's cut from the Sam Worthington mold in this movie, but since then he fucking rules in Mudbound, one of my favorite movies of twenty. He has found a space now. He's found a space. Yeah. I also. I mean. Yeah, I don't want to get into all the generic white boy actors, but, like, he did find a space. I don't think he's that bad in this, but he is clearly, like, he's just, he's not bad. He gives, he doesn't give annoying line readings. He's he's perfectly serviceable, but can I talk about, instead of talking about him, um, can I talk about how I like this movie despite a few facts? Yeah. One, in the last movie, they made uh, Kevin Flynn was this, like, hot computer dork. Like, he is a dork. He's winning at games and smiling geekily and, like, flirting, but not flirting well. But, like, he doesn't give a shit. He's all chill. He's and a then secret they to, like, pad in the arcade that he owns. Yeah, I think yeah. that is a fine. Yeah. Wow. He literally lives above a an arcade, which is, like, the 1980s version of the millennial fantasy that we get with Sam Flynn, which is this, like, industrial awesome. Sweet loft. That thing is so cool, though. It's it's like stripped down. It's not glossy. It's it doesn't look like anybody's parents' house. Like that's sort of like the millennial bachelor pad fantasy. Uh, Kevin Flynn in Tron One has like I think any kid's fantasy. Like I want to live above an arcade. Um, Anyways, uh, they went from hot computer dork to like young pretty pretty boy jock trust fund baby and yet <laughs> i still like the like that is a perfectly valid argument you can make about why this movie is like worse but yet it doesn't really click with me because the sense of spectacle overrides how kind of just whatever uh, garrett headland is yeah i agree and also like jeff bridges was um i mean he'd already been nominated for an academy award for uh the last picture show so mm. he, you know it's hard to act against Everything that's going on in Tron and all the special effects. And I can't imagine what that was like for the actors at the time because they literally were having to create how that acting worked. And um, and I think that even though you wouldn't look at Tron and go, oh, this is an amazing <laughs> Jeff Bridges performance. I do think the fact that the performance is not something that we roll our eyes at is indicative of what a good actor he was even at that time. Oh, yeah. He was not known as a pretty boy. I mean, he was a very pretty boy, but, like, he kind of came out of the gate swinging as, like, this acting powerhouse. Tron's yeah, no, in few- Fat City, he played, like, a, a dumb dumb boxer kind of guy, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so, so I mean, he – I think the fact that, like, he is so – I don't want to say serviceable, but not bland in Tron and still, like, retain so much of his character is indicative of, like, what a strong actor he was for that to come through whatever nightmare of a – shoot that was for the actors at the time <laughs> and obviously garrett headland is like looks looks pretty good when you point a camera at him yeah in this movie he found his space yeah yeah he's 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 fine the house is just so cool the like motorcycle shop and he's on a dock staring at the bridges and like he's got those beaten in leather couches like it's a it's a it's a rad space i'd rather talk about that than garrett headland in this mm. movie but garrett headland does the job 
My daughter did ask why he lived in uh, his garage. <laughs> and you're like, someday, someday you'll own a garage you can someday. live in. That's right. You'll I'm understand. Like, you can move in the garage now if you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me your room. Hey, yeah. it is warming up in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll get there. She can. Yeah. We'll, we'll move her into the garage soon, I promise, Peter. <laughs> um, but thank you. Thank you. It kind of mean to me to make my daughter watch half of this movie because I wanted to go to bed early. <laughs> And, and I'm like, well, you're still up. Hey, you want to watch a movie with dad? It's Tron Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> was she bored? Uh, she asked a lot of questions. Uh, Understandable. And I, yeah, and I, so did you. That, did you? Did you ask her any questions? I was like, what's that thing with the two wheels? I thought cards had four. She's like, dad. <laughs> it's a motorcycle. Um, I don't have any other things to talk about. We, we are running short of time. Um, so I, I'll just say that. Like I, I was really it was I had a lot of fun revisiting these two movies. Um but I was a little disappointed that Tron Legacy had so many parts that felt kind of a little bland and warmed over to me. I again did not feel that way in 2010. But uh a lot of good spectacle works, the soundtrack's amazing, there's some good performances. Uh but I was surprised to walk out and go, "Oh, Tron is like somehow even weirder and wonderful more wonderful than I remembered it." from 15 years ago um neither of these movies are like going to be something that i throw on all the time but i can definitely see myself watching both of them um again and they are kind of fun to watch back to back i i hope at some time at some point they get around to making a tron 3 Mm. Uh, because i know it was it's been like greenlit and then canceled a few times and the director is still saying that it's in deep freeze but it's not canceled but i think there should be more space Uh, i like the idea of checking in on this computer world uh every 25 years or something like that like it's a fucking digital before moonlight or something um not before was one of them called before moonlight did i is there three of them not yet all three wrong no, before sunset, before sunrise. Yeah, midnight. Like I yeah. like that idea of like checking in on this. Me too. Because I, I feel like there's 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 a lot to potentially say, um, and uh, and this is kind of a weird universe to be able to reflect back technology on us. I like that. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great way of putting it. I, I I do think that the there is a a sense that the, the Tron Legacy had maybe smaller ambitions, um, but it delivered on them. But the thing is, it 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 what the movie promises to be is the movie that it is. Like yeah, it, it perfectly encapsulates what it wants to be. And so it's like rarely distracting. It like perfectly meets and excels its sort of spectacle goals. And it doesn't feel textured like any other big budget movie. It feels a little um because it's it's full of um this sort of like neon lights and and uh the digital aspect of it. It doesn't feel grim and it doesn't grind you into the dirt. Um, let me just say, like, 
It's a cleaner, simpler film from design to the themes to the plot. Even the color coding is more audience friendly in this one. Um, but like I said about Tron, uh, the original Tron, um, the original the original film feels more of a uh, like a unique piece of art that needed like needed to happen for us to move on and, and you know, discover other things. Uh, it's a seed of a movie. Tron Legacy feels like it's just like a fucking great time at the movies, right? Like it's yeah, uh, and, and that's yeah. that's not that's not a knock on the movie. I can't think of another movie that delivers this sort of uh, uh, you know music video thrill at this length without getting fucking exhausting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So my thing too. I mean, I think I share a similar opinion to Peter in terms of the first Tron and the second one too. That like. Where I have this weird response to it because I recognize the Tron, the first one, is, like, more of a weirder movie and, like, more idiosyncratic and, like, it's very much its own loopy vision, which is something normally I, like, totally respond to and, like, I'm very much now the anti-franchise guy sometimes these days where I feel like a grump because I'm just like, fuck Infinity Wars. I'm not seeing that. <laughs> You're not getting my money. You, you walk into every McDonald's <laughs> and Target. Right, right. Middle finger, guys. <laughs> Come on, guys. No, I actually you, bought you make Vans. one at- restaurant and you stop. <laughs> no, I bought Vans at Target today. I got nothing to say on that. <laughs> but no, Um. but then Tron, but for me, Tron doesn't, Tron doesn't speak to me in this really particular way, and I don't know if it's because I respond more to Tron Legacy's aesthetic, which is, like, it does feel like a big update on the original. It's not as, like, explicitly nerdy, and Legacy's more of a blockbuster, and it's more spectacle. And maybe I just respond to that more intuitively, like, I respond to, like, the sort of feast for the eyes kind of ideal, and... I don't know why. It's funny, though, because I'm thinking about the themes of the movies. I think what I would like to see with Tron 3, if they make one, which, you know, they might not. Who knows? I mean, both of these movies broke even. I honestly wouldn't blame Disney if they're like, fuck it, let's leave it alone. Um, but I love a Tron 3 that, that more probes into the idea of the programs and the users as, like, gods and worshippers. and. Yeah. I'd kind of like to see, like, a Nietzschean take on it where, like, the programs kind of abandon the users because they recognize – I don't know. I I'd kind of like a Nietzschean weird subversive take on that. But I doubt that's ever going to be made into a movie, so we'll see. But I still really enjoyed watching these movies. They're so distinctive. They really don't feel like a lot of blockbusters made during the 80s or the 2000s. And uh, I had a really good time watching them and talking about them. Yeah, and we did too. Thank you so much uh, yeah. for coming back on, Connor. We promise we won't accidentally ban you again, uh, so it won't <laughs> be another two years before you rejoin us. Um, it's just a bug on the on the typewriter. Don't worry about it. Uh, Connor, I know you mentioned your great podcast, The Barn, uh, yes. and your book of poetry. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners where to find them, and we'll have links in the show notes as Absolutely. Well. So, uh, I have a podcast on uh, called The Barn. It's on SoundCloud. And you can find that uh, – so you can find our Facebook and Twitter. And the uh, Twitter is BarnPod, at BarnPod. And then uh, Facebook, it's just The Barn, a podcast about the shield. It's our Facebook page. And then as for my chat book, it's called A Door. It's out from Iron Lung Press. It's currently just sold out of print. But we're actually doing a new print run of 24 copies in the next couple months. So I'm super excited to get that out there. Excellent. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. 
Yeah, no, I'm really excited. I mean, I love, I'm actually really proud of the book and people seem to be responding to it well. So, you know, hopefully. Can't wait to read it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Reread it and be like, oh God, what the fuck was I doing here? Syntax <laughs> That's the trick. Around. That's the trick. You got to give yourself like six months yeah, so you exactly. can actually reread it. God. Well, thanks again for coming on. Peter, Absolutely. we're done with, uh, we we were we were in the middle of like what's even real man and and now we know what's real and what's real is classic musical movies the classic musical movies we're bringing back musical may again it's musical may 3 classic movies for thee despite the fact that the first one wasn't very successful we're coming back again Come back. Well, we've done t- this. Is our third, Peter. Yeah, number two was really good. So I number think two is very successful. It's gonna be great. Um, it could be okay. We're gonna be doing well next week. So the the idea being, so the first one, first musical May, the concept was, hey, Peter doesn't like musicals. Aaron likes musicals. Let's watch musicals that neither of them had seen and see how they respond. That was not a success because we've seen a lot of musicals combined. Mm-hmm. And so we picked some stuff. Did, did we – all of us were like, that's okay. Uh, and then we learned our lesson last year. We said, let's pick some fucking just kick-ass musicals. And since then, Peter's like enjoyment of musicals had grown. So I think uh, we had all seen all the ones we watched last year. But we had a great time. So now, picking up this idea that Peter doesn't hate musicals anymore, we're going to go back. We're going to go back to some classic musicals. Uh, I think all of them that I've seen. Peter, a couple that you have not seen. Uh, we're going to see how it all works out. So the only one I know, uh, schedule-wise, is the one that comes out next week. It's going to be West Side Story, featuring a three-time Musical May returning guest, Rachel Graff. She only comes on for musical episodes. She's literally told me that specifically. <laughs> so, um, and then the next three, I don't know what order. We're still working out schedules, but we're going to be doing Singing in the Rain with Casey James. We're going to be doing a double feature Top Hat and Pennies from Heaven uh, with uh, David Clark. And Gentlemen Prefer Blondes with Anthony Bizzo. So, yeah, very exciting. Peter, how many of those have you seen? Mm, let's just say none. Have you? I thought you've seen Singing in the Rain. Uh, no. Let's just say none. I haven't. Wow. The ones that I have seen, I haven't seen since I was younger than ten years old. So. Okay. Well, we're gonna see how the this version goes. of my head is definitely inaccurate. Excellent. Well, this this should be a lot of fun because these are all movies uh, I really like, and also West Side Story. Uh, I'm just kidding. West Side Story just isn't as good as the other ones, but I like West Side Story. Uh, we don't want to newsies, Rachel, again. So, pretend to like it, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why we're saying it like she picked it. We picked it. I I do like West Side Story. But anyways, so that's what we're doing for Musical May. Probably the last time, question mark. We said that last year, and then we came up with another idea. So, who knows? But, yeah. Until then, uh, a good good Tron to you. Uh, dream on in the dream that is Dream Tron, Dream Tron, Dream Tron. <laughs> what? Good night. How do you close out this month? Hey, it wasn't a podcast at all. <laughs> oh yeah. P.S. <laughs> Time to wake up now. Yeah, it was a podcast within a podcast. You take the pod pill, or you take the cast pill. <laughs> <laughs> Which one makes you an MRA? <laughs> 
Uh, for the for Mindfuckery Month, we should uh, we should have put episodes of Connor's podcast on our feed, and then he put episodes of <laughs> ours on his. Uh, just really, you know, keep people on the toes. All right, I think that's enough. Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid. Tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch. Or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.